Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. thing of ours, the radio, the radio, the radio. 
And boy, a lot of good things happening here at WABC that I want to share with all of you. And also go back to a day in which this thing of ours, radio, was on the deathbed. There were many who had uh, assumed Broadway, Bill Lee, as you know, on loan from WCBS-FM, where you teamed up with your partner, Joe Causey, that radio was like passe composé, going, going, gone. And the old WABC, we were on our deathbed. You would come into the weekends, and there was little... If any, live programming. It was basically a mortuary, a morgue. It was a mausoleum. All prepaid programming, medical issues, vitamins, um, sort of uh, health-conscious subject matters that would be paid for and aired endlessly to the point that it was driving all of our listeners away. And you could tell in the ratings that few, if any, would listen from Friday night to Sunday night. Generally, Sunday night, late Sunday night, live programming uh, would once again uh, reemerge and rear its happy head. And then during the week, oftentimes you had some of the titans of talk radio who decided... Why work five days a week? Oh, it's such a tough job, talk radio, right? Five days a week. i tell you what. I'll work four, maybe three days a week and then have a substitute of no consequence come on from some junior college radio station uh, that it couldn't even find on a map because some talk show hosts and hostesses were so paranoid the God forbid they actually had somebody on substituting for them that was good. That you might not actually miss them as much as they wanted you to miss them. So oftentimes they would fake you out. Say that they would be on five days a week. They'd be missing in action on Monday and break out for an extra day on Friday. And it was like they were working in Australia. That's the way they are in Australia. They won't show up to work on Monday. Then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they'll basically mail it in. And then they'll disappear and have the Bobby with the beer, and that's it. Basically, it's a three-day weekend. That's what it became on talk radio. Some of the biggest names in talk radio were doing that. And just killing and killing our audience. And then we had a resurrection. Uh, John Katsimatidis and his wife Margot Katsimatidis invested their wealth. And brought us back from near burial. Prior to that, our old owners and operators, Cumulus, had retired Nash, which was the country radio station, just took it right off the air. And then something that was unexpected, WPLJ, the most iconic call letters in FM. Now, I know you, Broadway Billy, you're arguing, say it was WCBS-FM which took over uh, Scott Shannon in the mornings. And remember, he's retired. He hasn't expired. Many people will say, oh, we're sitting shiver for Scott Shannon. No, he retired. He has not expired. That day will come for all of us. But I got to tell you, that was it for WPLJ. Lights out. And next on the list was WABC, like that last scene in Braveheart when Mel Gibson 
is being stretched out, ready to be impaled by the assassin. And then at the last second, spare the death sentence. It's almost as if a call were made to the governor's office, and it was John Katsimatidis saying, I'll buy it. And it was a long, slow, hard process of returning live and local radio and reconditioning an audience that in many instances had decided, sayonara, see you later, alligator. We'll just watch TV, pass out on our couch, wake up in the morning, and continue to watch TV morning, noon, and night. Luckily, our owners and operators and our president of Red Apple Media, our parent company, had the patience to understand that it would take a while. It would take a while. Let me tell you how bad it was. When we were on our deathbed, And we had our death rattle. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the death rattle. I remember when I held my grandfather, Fidelo Bianchino, in my hands right before he expired. At 99, he had his death rattle. And we knew it was just moments before he would go to the hereafter. We were in a similar state. We were in the midst of a radio death rattle. Our owners and operators, Cumulus, the CEO, the CFO, the COO, had basically put on the extremunction vestments, the uh, last uh, death rite vestments of the Roman Catholic Church, and they were sort of doing a consecration, Padre Filii Spiritus Santum, lights out. And then just imagine, if I wanted to stay on radio, I might have had to learn Cantonese, Mandarin, uh, Yiddish, well, I know a little bit of Yiddish. Uh, God only knows what the big stick, the 50,000 powerful watts of WABC would have become in Lodi, New Jersey, the most powerful radio station by day in the nation. And when dust comes, the most powerful global entity. That's right, no one more powerful at night. And it's my duty to take you until the break of dawn. And I do that on the best side of the other side of midnight every Saturday from 12 midnight to 6 in the morning. And then so nice the suits do it twice, allowing me to take you on that journey of what I call theater of the mind, a different style of radio that you would generally hear during the day, whether it is me contributing to Sid Rosenberg in the morning, 7.05 Monday through Fridays, or doing the rip and read 12 to 1 or doing any one of the other hours that I do, culminating in the Animal Welfare Hour with Nancy, which uh, pretty much ends my broadcast week Sunday nights, 10 to 1, before Dominic Carter comes on. So there are a number of things that I want to discuss with all of you about this precious thing of ours, talk radio, the most intimate form of communication that has ever been created. I say by Marconi, the Italian. Others say by Tesla, the Serbian. Whether you're listening on terrestrial radio, as we all grew up listening, or you have developed the ability, like uh, Hoboken Mary, who was taught by our own uh, president of operations of Red Apple Media, Chad Lopez, to download the WABC app in her iPhone smartphone, Now she takes it everywhere, including when she joins that degenerate gambler, Frank Morano at Atlantic City, shooting craps at the Borgata. You can listen while shooting craps and listen to it crystal clear wherever you are all over the world. 
from the highest tops of the Himalaya Mountains in Kathmandu, where you may have seen the news in Nepal, where there was an insurgency that tried to restore the monarchy, the crown, and topple the democracy, they failed. Right to the lowest reaches of Death Valley in California, which is on the way from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, uh, my wife's favorite location, believe it or not, Death Valley in California, where barely the scorpions can survive. And yes, there is water. Believe it or not, they have found tributaries and a river that is gushing water. To actually show you what I believe is the result of global warming and climate change, although we can get into that subject later on or even in uh, following shows the fact is, is that you can hear us all over the world. <clears throat> and if you have a laptop computer or you have your work uh, computer, you can listen to it on the stream bigger than the BBC one, two, three or four combined. And you can hear it right on down to between the Bahamas and Bermuda in the middle of the West Indies, Caribbean, right on down to Davy Jones's locker. So we have gone through quite a journey. We've come all the way back from the radio abyss. And I think this uh, this holiday weekend of Thanksgiving has indicated so many major changes that have been made in this thing of yours that you love to listen to and that you are conditioned to now, which is always live, always local. Always live, always local. Something that had been sacrificed decades ago in talk radio and in many instances in your forum during the week, uh, Broadway Billy with Joe Causey, your partner, uh, live and local music radio, because a lot of it began to be programmed by the analytics, by computers, eliminating the human touch. The human touch, uh, as was explained by... um, by our own cousin Brucey, Bruce Morrow, the greatest DJ of all times. Nobody is comparable. When we were spinning stacks of wax here at WABC, he would add the personal touch as all the DJs did. And then there came that point where the owners and operators, the so-called uh, big mockers of music radio, decided, what do we need a personality for All of that kibitzing that they do, the little bit of personality that emerges, is interfering with playing the music. And we've done focus groups, and the people don't want to hear the DJs talk. They want to hear music, music, and more music. Well, that's what they have a stream for. That's what they have all music services for. But radio has always provided the personality behind the microphone, whether it's talk radio or whether it's all music radio. And unfortunately, for many forms... Oh, let me hear. Let me hear. Exactly. Very good, Broadway Billy. Feel free to put your drops in and to express your creativity as our board operator. See, we're old school here. Broadway Billy, yours truly. I think we're developing a young Huckleberry here who will be answering your phone calls. By the way... Get rid of Alex from California. I do not want to talk about Israel and Palestine. We're talking about radio now. If they're not on subject, give them shine my boots on their backside. 
Reedy just talked Israel and Palestine for, for two straight hours. What the hell am I going to say that hasn't already been said by Rita Cosby and her many callers? This is theater of the mind. This is the entertainment portion of WABC on the weekends, where we conflate the music with subject matter that you would never hear generally from about, oh, 5 o'clock in the morning to about 12 midnight. Occasionally, that gold brick, that slacker, that deadbeat, Frank Morano, the Mameluke, will get into theater of the mind. But too often, uh, he becomes the George Costanza of talk radio and talks. truly, the Frankster. Yeah, yeah. What are you shooting craps at the Borgata? Oh, this guy is all upset because he had to work. Oh, he had to work uh, earlier on Friday. Oh, he wanted to take the day off. And all of a sudden, the owners and operators say, Frank. You know how many days you've taken off? You got a nationally syndicated talk radio program across the nation. And this guy almost once a month, once a month would decide, hey, I need to break out to Atlantic City. I'm a degenerate gambler. I got to be shooting craps and lose my shirt at the Borgata. And then I got to collect bottles and cans on the way back in order to pay for the gas to get back to the South Shore, Staten Island. I'm tired of hearing of that. I have audio of Lee Zeldin saying that Andrew Cuomo should be president. And they dropped the gauntlet on Frank uh, before the beginning of Tom Turkey Day and said, hey, pal, you got to work. Oh, my God. He, He almost had a convulsion. He almost had a mental breakdown. Oh, my God. I want to spit upon you. I doubly denounce you. How many hours is that going to take away from me shooting craps at the Borgata and losing my shirt? And by the way, if you've ever seen the shirts that that Mama Luke Frank Morano has worn, oh, my God, they're like uh, out of the 1940s. But anyway, what I want to point out is that we have set a precedent here. Over the last few days, I am in competition now with our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, for the acronym of what WABC means. As you know, I have always said it means always broadcasting, Curtis. And then, uh, all of a sudden, John has emerged in the last few days to be competing with me in terms of time on the microphone. And now I can see he's attempting to muscle me out of that category by claiming that WABC means always broadcasting cats and matitas. I'll give you an idea. Yeah, hold off on the animal welfare hour. I, I, I can't beat up John because, remember, he's just syndicated the animal welfare hour that is involving uh, Nancy and myself that you can hear Sunday nights. 10 to 11 finishes up my broadcast day. Make that broadcast week. And now it's going to be syndicated across the nation. And I can assure you, listeners out there, I'm not going to be taking any days off with a national uh, syndicated animal welfare show from coast to coast. Oh, I think I'll go to Atlantic City and shoot some craps. Ain't going to happen. I know how difficult it is to get a national radio syndicated show. I had one briefly overnight. I know the work that goes into it. You got to cater to all of those stations out there in the middle of but uh, rear uh, America 
two watt stations in the middle of a cornfield in Duquesne, Iowa, to the bigger stations across the nation. And you got to do constituent service the way you would as a good politician. You got to do it for the stations that have decided to take your syndicated offer. So, yeah, that's going to be more, more work. More than happy to have it. And in fact, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, another plus has occurred with Nancy having joined me these past two days from 12 to 1 for the Rip and Read. We're going to have her on for two hours within 24 hours from 12 midnight to 2. And she's going to determine the music that we use and the subject matters that we discuss. The audience has responded on our social networking that they want to hear more Nancy and less of me. The only problem is generally from about 12 midnight to 2 in the morning, she's roaming around Central Park. Her nickname is Lone Wolf One. And from a high boulder in the rambles, she bays to the moon, whether it is a blood moon, whether it is a half moon, whether it is a moon in eclipse, she bays to the moon, and then you hear dogs, both on the east side and west side, on both sides of Central Park, I mean just barking and howling, because Lone Wolf One has set the tone. So that's good news. I'm going to have Nancy in, 12 midnight to 2. She's going to pick all the music, so you better get ready. You're going to have to up your game, Broadway Bill Lee. And she's going to pick the subject matter. And again, congratulations to Nancy and all of the listeners out there because uh, you have participated in the growth of the Animal Welfare Hour, all things animal from dogs to cats to snakes to last week vultures and buzzards and turkey vultures. Who would have thought the people were interested in that subject matter? You just never know in which direction they're going to go. And then the most divisive issue of Animal Welfare Hour has been to love or hate pigeons. I, Nancy, and John Katsimatidis love the street pigeons. Or as Rudy Giuliani used to call them, rats with wings. Although recently, to his credit, Michael Mbaricic rescued a uh, pigeon that appeared to be injured on his uh, balcony at his home on the Upper East Side and took him all the way across town to the West Side to be repaired to a uh, conservatory uh, storefront. I forget the name of the Wildlife Association there. They do great work. I wouldn't say he's a pigeon lover like John Katsimatidis or Nancy or myself who actually feed the pigeons and then have to battle people who argue, oh, the pigeons, they spread disease. What are you feeding the pigeons for? Or has, uh, as it had occurred outside of WABC, our broadcast facility, one time, a maintenance man came out to John Katsimatidis and said, Sir, you can't feed the pigeons. And John turned to that maintenance guy and said, What do you mean I can't feed the pigeons? No, no, you're not permitted to feed the pigeons on the property here. And he said, Well, what about if I buy the building, pal? Would I be able to feed the pigeons then? <laughs> and the guy went back inside. They told him who John was. And they, they, he had the wherewithal to buy the whole block, never mind uh, this building. And then John continues to feed the pigeons whenever he wants. Uh, even Chad Lopez has gotten into the business now of feeding the pigeons. 
And naturally, I feed the pigeons, and the pigeons follow me all the way from the West Side apartment that I share with Nancy and our 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 cats in our cat colony. And even though I'll get into the subway, somehow the homing instinct of the pigeons know that I'm going to come out on the Upper East Side section, and then they follow me right here the rest of the way to our broadcast studio. So a lot to be said. Animal Welfare will now be syndicated as a radio program across the nation, a mothership station. Right here at WABC, my wife Nancy will be joining me for the first two hours, 24 hours from now. And I've uh, given her the task of coming up with all the subject matter. So it'll be more estrogen than the normal level of testosterone. Our numbers, we want to talk radio here. I don't want to talk Israel-Palestine. I don't want to talk all these other subjects that we hear morning, noon, and night on WABC. They give me a freaking headache. It gets regurgitated. It's like talk TV on talk radio. That's not what talk radio is. Talk radio is theater of the mind. Let's pay tribute to this thing of yours that is as close to you as any family member, as any friend, and in many instances preferred. By you to any family member or friend. And over this long holiday. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. See those jingles. That's classic. I got to give credit where credit is due. As much as I pimp slap him around from time to time. Our imaging director is a guy named Chris Libertini. Sometimes I love him. Sometimes I hate him. Depended on uh, his creative bent. But we have a series of jingles here that are old school. That re- Talk Radio 77, W-A-B-C. That remind you of the very first time you discovered this thing of ours, whether it was uh, spinning stacks of wax top 40 or talk radio. So that's what we're going to focus on in this first hour. And also in the fact that John Katsimatidis has made a commitment to live and local radio. He doubled the number of hours uh, that he did just in the past few days each week. He generally does about seven to eight hours when you consider the five o'clock roundtable discussion he has with Rita Cosby and his many contributors. You eat a lot of fish. And then two hours Sunday mornings with all the newsbreakers that go across the nation and the world from eight to ten. That generally put him in the ballpark of about eight broadcast hours a week. With him substituting for Sid Rosenberg, who's been away with his family. Now he's up to 15. He did a morning show. He did mid-mornings. Uh, he was just about ready to do the rip and read. But other business of uh, his pending companies had torn him away. And then he came back to do the 5 o'clock roundtable discussion with Rita. This is going for the record. That's right. Going for the record, John. Because now I see you're hot on my heels. Curtis is going for the record. Fifteen hours. Curtis is going for the record. And the guy was unstoppable. He came for three shifts. Morning shift. Mid-morning shift. And five o'clock roundtable discussion. And I said to myself, no, no, no. He ain't going to catch me. Because normally I end up doing about 21, 22 hours a week. So I had to match him hour for hour. Curtis is more right than wrong. Yeah. That meant... Same number of hours substituting for Sid. And then I did the mid-mornings for Brian uh, Kilmeade. And John was matching me hour for hour. 
But I did him one better when I told him, hey, John, don't you have more business to do with your parent companies, all the companies you have out there as a mogul? And he departed for the one hour, the rip and read, where I had Nancy uh, actually accompanying me during generally one of the family broadcasts that we promised to all of you, the shut-ins, those of you who are home and don't have family or friends other than maybe your fluffy little friend, your yarn ball known as a dog or cat or other critter. And this is the commitment that John Katsimatidis has made, live and local radio. So let's have a discussion about the state of radio, because there are some here, like that Mother Luke Frank Morano, who doesn't want me doing all these hours. Oh, yeah, and there are others behind the scenes. How come he gets to do all the hours that he does? What makes Curtis Lee a Mr. Big Stuff? Who does he think he is? Oh, yeah, there is a current wave, a backlash here, although they won't surface publicly, of individuals here who wonder, how come Curtis ends up doing now 31 hours of live and local radio a week, huh? It's madness. It's madness. Yeah, he, he's leading it. Frank Morano, that Mama Luke, is leading the insurgency because he says, well, Curtis never takes a day off. When he's dead and in the casket, he'll probably be broadcasting eight feet under and in a cardboard box at the way I'm going. It won't be pine. It'll be cardboard. Ladies and gentlemen, should I ease up on the amount of time that I'm broadcasting? Should I keep pace now with the ever-growing voice of John Katsimatidis on the station that he owns, operates, and saved from the abyss? Or should I capitulate to the gang? That's right, I'll say it, of four. Who behind the scenes led by Frank Morano, who are trying to cut into my talk time. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. There'll be plenty of time to talk about Israel and the Palestinians and the freakazoids demonstrating in Washington Square Park. Readjusted two hours. I'm not touching that, okay, until the break of dawn. There's so many other things to talk about. In fact, for some of you, I've actually capitulated to your desire. I actually watched the movie The Incident, 1967. And I am ready to now declare it the greatest movie of all time. Greater than Jake LaMotta, The Raging Bull, starring Robert De Niro and Pesci. Absolutely. I'll give you my movie review later on in the show because I'm going to be taking you to the break of dawn. We're talking radio, without which many of us would be room temperature. That's right. Very good. Oh, you're, you're right in gear. You brought your A-game here. I guess the tryptophan for you didn't kick in, Broadway Bill Lee. Maybe you actually snapped that wishbone and your wish has come true. Then you'll have live and local radio constantly, 24-7-365, right here at WABC. Our numbers 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Side of Midnight, 77 WABC. W A.
Happy Sliwa. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. talking about those pro-Palestinian protesters. We're not talking about Israel. And somebody already had a heart attack because they said, oh, Israel or Palestine. There's no such thing as Palestine. We're not talking about it. That's all we do is talk about it all day long. Nothing has changed. Nothing. I'm sure you talk tomorrow, right? Well, tomorrow it's going to be in a few hours. James Golden, he'll talk about it from 7 to 10. I know Anthony Weiner, the Zionist, he'll talk about it starting at 2. You'll get plenty of talk about Israel and the Palestinians and the screwball protesters. I don't want to talk about it. I've heard enough. I've seen enough. I need a break. By the way, uh, Broadway Billy, you do realize you're playing the song of the number one pedophile on a pedestal ever to exist in the world, Gary Glitter, huh? I've had enough! I've had enough! Endlessly the same subjects drumbeat into our heads over and over and over again. No, no, stop, stop. to talk about Derek Chauvin. He was stabbed in prison. Guess what? I don't care if he dies. I don't want to talk about that. Nobody got stabbed in federal prison in Tucson, Arizona. He's almost dead. I don't care. I hope he dies. Pistorius was granted parole in South Africa. I don't care. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, God. And I hate it when James Golden does. He reads me all the freaking news in his show. Like I need to have a talk radio host read the various news headlines. Hell no. Give me a break, James Golden. 
If I want old news, I'll listen to WIMS and WCBS. But the news gives me a headache. Because remember, it's in a 20-minute news cycle. All the news in 20 minutes around the world. And then they repeat it over and over and over and over. I don't care about this Budweiser stuff. I don't care what beer you drink. Beer whatever, drink whatever beer you want to drink. You don't want to drink Bud? Don't drink Bud. You want to drink it? Drink it. Who cares? Good. That's talk radio. Not giving me freaking news headlines. Oh, God. Destroying this great thing of ours, this theater of the mind. Oh, people were forced to have to work. They call this work. You really think showing up and talking into a microphone is work? I'll tell you what work is. Being out in the street and having to suck up all the exhaust from cars directing traffic. Want to bet that'll bore you out of your freaking mind? Oh, I got to work so hard coming to WABC. Oh, it's so torturous. Why can't I do the program from my home on a Comrex? Cut it out. If I had it my way, I would take a machine gun and shoot every damn Comrex box in the nation. You like doing radio? Get your ass into the studio because that's when you're best. Not when you're away mailing it in. That's called USPS, United States Postal Service, and they suck. Think I'm a little peeved. Think I'm a little pissed off. When I saw what they tried to do to this thing of ours that I so love and adore like so many of you... When Imus in the morning was here, he took off eight weeks, eight weeks, and he wouldn't permit any of his staff to be on the air. Instead, he had a kid out of college named Mike Gunzelman host the show and refer to, oh, the best of Imus, which was really the worst of, sometimes playing that same freaking interview Twice within four hours, I just wanted to impale myself with a microphone. They were slowly bleeding this thing of ours into the abyss. And I just didn't care because he was able to walk away with a wheelbarrow full of money and do the show from some stinking ranch in the middle of New Mexico and then Texas. And then others do it in a bunker or a mansion. And you know, I know the difference. Because I remember when they all used to do it in the studio and how good and crystal clear it was. And how cogent it was. And how creative it was. And how different it was than any other medium that has ever existed. And then they collectively tried to ruin this thing of ours. I just happened to see this tweet from Noam Laden. Oh, my God. <laughs> the worst kept secret 
uh, WABC. Well, it's, yeah, because maybe I announced it about a month ago. The worst-kept secret is now a done deal. Finally, a morning radio show worth tuning into. Yeah, you replaced me! You think I'd forget that? Wherever the hell you are, Don Imus, I don't forgive and I don't forget. And then, oh, no Laden. Oh, that Utreditor news director. At a moment in which the powers to be at the old cumulus, who single-handedly tried to destroy this thing of ours, they were actually sitting and considering hiring Mike Lupica, the sports guy, to replace Geraldo Rivera, who was never here to do a broadcast, by the way. Talk about gold-bricking and mailing it in. Hey, how about coming into the studio, Geraldo? Nah, I'm too busy at Fox. I'll mail it in. And he helped destroy that mid-morning show. So what did they want to do to add insult to injury? Put Mike Lupica in there instead, who was told he could do the show from his house in Connecticut. It doesn't look like I'm going to be on the five. I mean, I'm not going to be on the five. I've been fired from the five. And as a result of that, I quit Fox. Ah, Geraldo, stay in Cleveland. Do us a solid that mistake by the lake. And I'll never forget that moment that I barged into the office of our Campo di Tutti, a programming at that time, Chad Lopez, and I said, Do not sign that contract, Chad. It will destroy this thing of ours. The wish of our beloved Bernard McCurk was as the producer and contributor to the Imus show who kept Imus afloat, alive, and informed. Yeah, without Bernie, Imus would have crashed and burned. So when the day came to bring in somebody new, it was going to be Bernie and Sid or Mike Lupica. Over my dead body. And I looked at Chad and I said, don't sign that contract. That'll be a death warrant against WABC as we know it. And in another room on the other side of WABC, on the 17th floor, Tupin Plaza, right near Penn Station, was our program director intent on destroying us, Craig Schwab. And sitting in that room was Noam Laden. And they were talking to Mike Lupica on a conference call of what that mid-morning program would sound like from the basement of Lupica's mansion in Connecticut. And I looked at Chad Lopez and I said, Bernard McGurk has earned this with blood, sweat, and tears. Having to put up with Imus, a just miserable human being. And he has one wish, one wish only. Not only to do mid-mornings, but for you to bring up from Florida a man he always thought he could do a morning program with, Sid Rosenberg. And Chad said, you're asking a lot, Curtis. You know, they think that Sid is washed up. He's burned out. He's a degenerate. And I said, hold off. Don't sign that contract. I will go down 
I will go down to Southern Florida. I will do my due diligence. And I will find out the truth. Why? About the viability of Sid Rosenberg. I went, I saw, I brought back the information. Stupid. And Chad Lopez determined he would not stick the shiv into the cadaver and formaldehyde that was WABC, which at that moment was tied in the ratings with WFUV, the Woo! college radio station at Fordham University. All of them. And Chad did the right thing. I just drooled. And now, once again, we have the number one station in the nation by day. And when dust comes in, the number one global radio station with the most iconic call letters ever created in this thing of ours, radio. W-A-B-C. So if you want to talk about Israel Spectacular. and Palestinians, don't bother me for the next six hours because you'll be talking about it all day long, I guarantee you, on WABC. Not oh, a thing is going to change between now and six in the morning. Except my mission is to entertain you. My mission is to take you places you haven't been before. My mission is to give you live and local radio, not from a stupid box from nowhere buttville, America, but live and locally in the studios of the most important station in the world, WABC. I don't read any books and I'm going. Yeah, so, uh, so there was a guy named Larry King who said exactly the same thing. I never read a book, but I'll do an interview. And he was good on overnight radio Metro Media. But they used to repeat two of his hours. He did two local hours that went across the nation, and they repeated the next two hours. It's called Lazy Radio. We don't do that here at WABC. And I'll be damned if I'm going to participate in the endless drudgery of repeating the same talk show lines, running the same talk TV radio cuts over and over and over. Hut, hut, cut 54. Hut, hut, cut Hell 57. No. Hut, 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 Hell cut no. 39. Hell no. No way. That's not Hell Curtis no. Lee. That's not how you honor this thing of ours. Over this Thanksgiving Day holiday where so many people are morbid and depressed because they can't be where they want to be or they're no longer with the people they always used to be surrounded with. We are their connection. We are their friends. We are the family that they have, that they no longer have physically. But we deal with them emotionally and in terms of spiritually because we revive their mind and we take them on that time machine to a time and a place maybe that was more pleasant for them to deal with. That is my mission, ladies and gentlemen. I will not forsake you. So if you want to talk about Israel and Palestinians and Hamas and Biden and Trump is God and Biden sucks, you're listening to the wrong radio station right now. 
Give it a break. 77 WABC. Oh, I love those jingles. I love old time radio, right? The jingles. Some people would listen just for all the jingles. How creative. WABC Old style jingles Call me WABC Call me a fuddy-duddy Call me an old-timer But let me tell you something I know good radio And this is good radio Because it allows you to escape, max, relax, stay engaged, and then just raise the roof until the break of dawn. 1-800-848-9222. 77-W-A-B-C. You're trying to calm me down, huh? Baby, calm down, calm down. Yo, this your body, he puts in my heart for lockdown, for lockdown, for lockdown. Yo, you sweet life, fall down, fall down. If I tell you, say I love you, you know, they for me, young girl, oh, young girl. No, tell me, no, 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 whoa, 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 oh, 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 oh. Baby, come give me your lo, 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 lo. Trying to calm me down, huh? Grandma. Selena Gomez, calm down. You're not gonna calm me down, Broadway Billy. Gonna calm me down, huh? Gonna calm down the Irish and Finlock, Kulak, Valley Fairmont and Dublin as they rioted against the, quote, asylum seekers. Huh? Gonna calm me down, huh? No, you're not gonna calm me down. Nice try, Broadway Billy. I'm not gonna take this anymore. Nice try. That's not the kind of talk radio that I do. I'm not calm, I'm not cool, I'm not collected. I'm in a rage. Because there are so many things that I experience and see. And then what should have been my mood elevator, my uh, 
calming agent. Talk radio at times is not because it's a repetition of the same old, same old. Oh, God. I just want to take this microphone and impale myself. We're not going to do that to the break of dawn. Oh, no, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just getting warmed up. People will not destroy or violate this thing of ours. It's a trust. It's a pact that we've taken with an institution that we've grown up with. At least I have, and I know many of you have. And it's me and you, the callers. I don't do guests. I hate guests. Guests are fake, phony, fraudulent fagazis who regurgitate their talking lines. I hate guests. You, the callers, are far more important to me and our audience because you'll reveal more if given the opportunity, and I will do exactly that on WABC. used by Curtis Sliwa is replete with spoonerisms, malaprops, and fractured phrases, and is not a reflection of the language that you should use in your normal conversations. It is Sliwanics, and a glossary of its words and definitions are posted on wabcradio.com. Hush, hush, mush, mush, mula, shmula, furniture upstairs rearranged in all the wrong places. Your complexion is your protection. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Every time you come around, you know I can't say no. Every time the sun goes down, I let you take control. I can feel the paradise before my world ends.
lot of guys out there sweating bullets saying oh i wonder i wonder if a lawsuit has been filed against me as part of the adult survivors act signed into law by kathy crime wave holcomb that was done specifically over a year ago to enable alvin bragg to prosecute president donald trump in a rape lawsuit, not a criminal charge, a civil charge, by a woman named E. Jean Carroll. Never trust anybody with three names. You know my policy. Never trust anybody with three names. On something that supposedly happened 30 years ago, when Donald Trump, then a well-known entity, was staring down from Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue, and watched a woman walk into nearby Bergdorf Goodman and said, I must have that woman. Followed her into Bergdorf Goodman. Unseen. Nobody seemed to identify him. One of the most identifiable people in the world. And then he snuck his way into a changing room and uh, had his way with E. Jean Carroll, who did not want him to have his way, if you would believe that nonsense. Well, that was the whole point in making sure that there was the Adult Survivors Act to get Trump. And you know I'm not a Trumper. No, 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 I'm not a Trumper. But I said, what? Well, you know something? All of those who wanted to kill Trump on the Alvin Bragg state of a specious lawsuit Beware of what you wish for, right? Broadway Billy, beware of what you wish for. We'll talk about it later. Andrew Evilized Cuomo hiding in Sicily in Corleone. Eric Adams, I didn't know her. I never saw her before in my life. My suggestion, Broadway Billy, is that we go back in time when a man would actually have buttons... On his fly. Remember, it wasn't a zipper. Buttons. It would take you a lot more time to get into trouble with buttons than with a zipper. Uh, maybe a little saltpeter required in the morning in your Cheerios or your Wheaties. Isn't that like Jack Armstrong, right? Wasn't he on the Wheaties box, Jack Armstrong? Didn't he come to life on radio, Jack Armstrong? Wasn't that the ideal for every American male to be like Jack Armstrong? And again, if I think if we were to make it mandatory for all men to have saltpeter in their breakfast cereal, Cheerios or Wheaties, granola, no. wheat germ, 
Grape nuts. Oh, my God. Who, who the hell eats grape nuts? Grinds your teeth down, right? <laughs> Put saltpeter in their breakfast and guarantee raging hormones will not exist. Cut it out. What was turgid will be flaccid. And if we could only put buttons back on a man's fly instead of a zipper, how many less civil lawsuits would have been filed under this Adult Survivors Act? We'll discuss it later on. And guess what? Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb has declared that it's such a success that she wants to do it again. So be careful for what you wish for. Eric Adams, uh, Scott the Mameluke Stringer, and of course Andrew Evilized Como. I I never I, I never violated these eleven women. Eleven? Are they all lying? Including a state trooper? Uh, well, wait, wait. You see, I'm guilty of my own rule of digressing from this thing of ours, radio. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Doc, who's calling from Long Island. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Doc. Hi, Curtis. How are you? How do you think I am, Doc? You sound a little stressed tonight. I'm I'm always stressed. (laughs) But you're good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm wondering, you're like the only one left. Remember in the early year, 60s and 70s, we had people like Gene Shepherd with Theater of the Mind? Yeah. Now, incredible that you bring up Gene Shepherd. And many people have said, I do something similar in the overnight radio to Gene Shepherd. Believe it or not, with all the great talk uh, talent that I listened to in growing up, I never heard Gene Shepherd except recently. When callers like yourself made references to him, and I went back in the annals, listened to some of his shows, and I could see some of the similarities. I could see that, Doc. Yeah, he was on, on WOR, I think, for an hour or two every night. I always listened. It was amazing what he could talk about. Yeah, and yeah, a lot of times it would be uh, stream of consciousness. You would give him one subject, and from that he could extrapolate in a million different directions. Exactly. He always talked about his childhood in Indiana. The famous story about the kid who's got his nose frozen to the light pole. They're all things like that. You know, at that point, Doc, some of the greatest talk radio broadcasters really came out of the Midwest, the heartland of America, for instance. This is one of those films that's like a litmus test. If if the kid had a happy if the if the reviewer had a happy childhood, he'll love it. If the guy had a rotten childhood, he's going, bah, bah, humbug. <laughs> it's, it's genuinely an emotional film, and I, and I don't really know what the critics are going to say. Uh, now, you, you heard that voice, that blast from the past, Doc? Yes. In fact, later on, I'm going to be talking about a movie that you would have thought that I would have seen time and time again, the incident about two thugs on a subway in the Bronx Martin Sheen's first role, I'd never seen it. Our listener said, you got to see it. Nancy made me watch it the other day when we had a a few hours uh, before I had to return to WABC. 
I am ready to label it the greatest film that I've ever seen in my lifetime, Doc. On the four train. On the four train, right. Every stop, a different couple got on, a different story. How it was filmed, the MTA money-taking agency would not allow them to film on the subway. Can you believe there is a stupid rule in effect where the MTA says you have to have a permit to film in the subway? What? How ridiculous is that? I believe it. Anything to try to cosmetically sort of uh, deny us access to be able to see the reality of what's going down. But you're right about Gene Shepard from Indiana. Bob Grant, the king of talk radio, my mentor from Chicago. Paul Harvey from Oklahoma. Some of the right. greatest talk radio. Uh, Rush Limbaugh from Cape Girardeau, Missouri, where he was a Tennessee stump jumper. You know, going back and forth across the Mississippi to Tennessee. Some of the greatest radio performers of all time were from the heartland of America. Hello, 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 test. Hello, hello, hello. All right, now, hold on a minute there. Just don't get excited. we got to get everything all set here. we got to wire up the transmitter. There we go. And we'll plug in the plug here. Let's see if we've got a fuse here. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, 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 hello. There it is. There it is. It's on. Can you hear me out there in Staten Island? You see, the disquantificator, he was trying to connect the disquantificator, Doc. Yes. Wow. I remember at night, I would listen to those stations because you could only get them at night from the Midwest. Yeah, and some real powerhouse stations um, from Detroit. I think it was WGR. Maybe I have the wrong call letters. The great WJR. WJR, right. The Great Lake Station. You could hear all over the nation. Then there was a station in Denver, Colorado. Crystal clear you could hear at night all the way from Denver. But the greatest station of all, Doc, WABC, which you could hear 38 states and parts of Canada once the sun went down. 38 states and parts right. of Canada. Well, how come there's nobody out there besides you anymore doing this? Doc, because it's just too easy to repeat what you just heard the hour before or the day before or the night before. It really requires, Doc, that you just let loose, that you express yourself in a way that I think some talk show hosts and hostesses would be afraid because they don't know if they'd uh, be able to return to the microphone. So what I do is I just let it fly. I just, hey, whatever's in my head, I just release it, let it go. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't go, but that's what theater of the mind is. Uh, and you're right. It's a lost art. It's a lost art. But you you got to put a lot of time in it. I'm sure Gene Shepard, before he came on the airwaves, uh, actually put hours and hours of preparation into his broadcast because in listening to the old shows, since I didn't hear them live and locally at WOR when I was growing up, I could see he, he had so many facts. He had so many locations and places that he probably had to almost like chart it out. It was still a stream of consciousness, but he still had to put time into it, Doc. Yeah. Do you think the public will receive it that anymore? Are they interested? Yes, because I think, you see, I trust people, Doc. Uh, executives tend not to trust people. They wouldn't even want DJs 
to express their personal opinions any longer between spinning stacks of wax. Uh, top 40, some of the greatest DJs that we've ever had, whether it's our own cousin Brucey, Harry cousin Harrison. Brucey. You can go through a whole laundry list. Wolfman Jack, uh, to uh, Freeform Radio, WNEW. They don't want that. They just want, no, 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 play the hits. Play the hits and shut up. No, no, no. I want to hear the personality. You want to play a hit, you can get it on a stream now, right? You get it on Spotify. Yeah, I listen to radio. I want to hear personalities. I want to hear stories that are told that paint the picture so I can imagine what's going on, like old-time radio, when radio was king. I hold silver! I remember listening to those old broadcasts, and it was better than what I saw on TV, because you had to paint the picture in your mind. It stimulated your mind, Doc, as opposed to watching vapidly something just process its way on TV. I always prefer uh, prefer the spoken word as to uh, a video presentation, Doc. with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty Hayo Silver, the Lone Ranger. Hayo Silver, away! Before it was on TV, it was on radio. And to be honest, having watched it on television as a child growing up, and then going back through the annals of radio and listening to it as it was played on radio... For my father and mother's generation, when there was no such thing as TV, you know what was more preferable to me? The Lone Ranger on radio. Because now you had to imagine what it was. You had to paint pictures. The performers would paint pictures with their words. And to me, it was so much better because it it forced you to have to think. Whereas, let's face it, you sit in front of a TV. What do you end up doing when you sit in front of a TV? You fall asleep. Don't lie. Whether you're watching football, whether you're watching the news, whether you're watching talk news TV, it does, you fall asleep. You're sitting in a couch. You're sitting on the sofa. You get stung God. It's the same video images, and they need the video to be able to explain what they're saying. Because if there's no video, there's no talk. You go to talk TV news, they say, well, we got to have video. God forbid we have to actually talk about something for an hour. We need lots of video in the background. We We need lots of scenes of fire, of pestilence, of people screaming and hollering, death and destruction. And we need to replay it in a loop. Over and over and over, we say, hey, I just saw that. It's like you gave me 30 seconds and you put it in a loop. And some of you, you can't get enough of that. 
and then you turn to the alternative talk radio, and you get the same thing on talk radio. Hut, hut, cut 54, hut, hut, cut 39, hut, 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 hut. I thought I was uh, maybe uh, listening to the Jets get clobbered by the Miami Dolphins earlier on uh, on Saturday. Boy, they suck. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's 1-800-848-WABC. Come in outer space. Hey, Mario, ascend the bay. Tu se probio dos pachim. Mario, ascend the bay. Tu se probio dos pachim. Mario, ascend the bay. Tu se probio dos pachim. Mario, ascend the bay. Tu se probio dos pachim. It's another side of midnight. 77 WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. sexual relations with that woman not a single time never Checking to see if there are any other guys who have been implicated in the Adult Survivors Act that lapsed uh, at 12 midnight. Guys were sweating bullets out there as Kathy Hochul 
in order to get Donald Trump on a rape lawsuit by E. Jean Carroll. Never trust anybody with three names, never. In order to get Donald Trump so that Alvin Bragg could put a notch on his belt, this legislation was created. She signed it into law for a full year, ending the statute of limitations so that women, men, children, anyone could come forward claiming that they were sexually harassed or sexually assaulted. It could have been 30, 40, 50 years ago, 60, 70, maybe 80. But hey, going to get Trump. And remember, I'm not a Trumper. And they couldn't get a conviction on rape as part of the civil lawsuit, but everything else, I think they uh, gave out a penalty of $5 million that Trump eventually will have to pay. But all the people were cheering that on, right? That's right, we're going to get you, Trump. Now all of a sudden it's come full circle. Sean Puff Daddy Combs P. Diddy, a.k.a who went to Mount St. Michael's and destroyed that school, because now it's called P. Diddy Academy, came out of Mount Vernon, just like Denzel Washington, except we haven't heard any of that nonsense about Denzel, even though he's been an actor for most of his uh, adult life. But with Sean Puff Daddy Combs, he got hit twice. Twice! First time, no, I'm going to fight this! Through his attorney, Benjamin Braffman, one of the top defense attorneys of all time. Eight hours later, settled. Then just before the time expired, he got hit by another woman who apparently he had engaged at Syracuse University and did tawdry things to her. And remember, when they filed the lawsuit, everything gets printed in the newspapers, word for word. Now, he knew both these lawsuits were coming down the pipe because they reach out to you first. They say, hey, we're going to file. You want to make a deal? We'll sign a non-disclosure item. It'll be hush, hush, mush, mush. You can pay money to make this go away. Now, whether it's true or not true, none of these people can say they didn't know anything about it. You better believe the attorneys waited until the last second to drop these civil lawsuits on these accused, hoping that when they were first alerted, they would decide it's not worth the fight. Let me just pay the money. Guy like P. Diddy's almost a billionaire. Got clipped twice. Let's see, Jamie Foxx, you know, Ali there. I guess he was... uh, Playing like he was uh, blind like Ray Charles, right? Uh, I didn't. Uh, I never saw that woman on that rooftop. I don't know what you're talking about. Clipped? Eric Adams? Apparently a woman that worked with him at the Transit Police Department back in 1993. I don't know who that woman is. Never saw that woman before in my life. Clipped? And then Andrew Evelice Cuomo. Oh, yeah. Andrew Evelice Cuomo. I'll never forget how Andrew Evelice Cuomo was on the sidelines with Eric Adams and the Mameluk Scott Stringer, who thought he would become the next mayor over my dead body. 
and they were cheering on the accuser of Justice Kavanaugh. A woman must be believed. Remember that? A woman must be believed. Okay. It was basically anything that deprived Trump of a Supreme Court justice pick. And they targeted Kavanaugh. And the story by his accuser didn't make any sense. Never did. But what the hell? The woman is always right. Remember what Cuomo said. Remember what Eric Adams said. Remember what that mamaluke Scott Stringer said. And then lo and behold, years later, Andrew Cuomo <sighs> was accused by not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight, not nine, not ten, eleven women that worked for him, including a state trooper. And some of you out there, eh, oh, impossible, no way, eleven women. Remember what the accuser, the inquisitor, of Justice Kavanaugh, Andrew Evilize Cuomo said when he faced the accusations being made against him. It's not true, Zach. Uh, look, I, I fought for and I believe uh, a woman has the right to come forward and express her opinion uh, and uh, express issues and, and concerns that she has. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just not true. And one of these women have resurfaced as a result of this Adult Survivors Act, the clock was ticking, and has filed against Andrew Evilize Cuomo, who knew this was going to happen. He knew this weeks ago. And where do you think he is? We'll discuss this later on in the show, uh, Broadway Billy. Of all places, Sicily, tracing the footsteps of Michael Corleone. In fact, I want uh, you to uh, go to the Italian part of Michael Corleone in Sicily, where he is discussing it with his comrades there, as he is back in Corleone, in which the translation, if you are not familiar with Italian, is that women are more dangerous than shotguns. Mamma mia, sono cascato innamorato. Ma vado su per la montagna. Oh. E che sei rimasto col pelo da un fulmine? Michele, lascia bene. In Sicilia femmine sono come alupara. Women are more dangerous than shotguns. Isn't that interesting that while this is breaking out here, Andrew evilized Cuomo, who acts like he's a saint. I would never have done that to any women. Eleven? Including a state trooper? Is now tracing the footsteps of Michael Corleone when he went back to Corleone, Sicilia, and she tries his political comeback. It's not true, Zach. Uh, 
look, I, I fought for and I believe uh, a woman has the right to come forward and express her opinion uh, and uh, express issues and, and concerns that she has. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just not true. And then, of course, it was his very dear friend, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Uh, they were like two peas in a pod, a soup in a sandwich, a horse in a carriage, like ebony and ivory, even after uh, Cuomo had fallen off his horse. Eric Adams did not forsake him. But then an article came out in Vanity Fair where Andrew Cuomo said, Oh, Eric Adams is wounded. Maybe I'll run for mayor. What a fair-weathered friend, right? And then all of a sudden, Eric Adams, who was a big supporter of the Adult Survivors Act. Oh, yes. We got to get Trump. We got to get Trump. All of a sudden, a woman emerged. Is now teaching school down in Miami-Dade in Florida. And is prepared to drop a civil lawsuit against him for sexual assault. And you know, Eric Adams' attitude when you disrespect him. I'm waiting for him to refer to his beloved mother's advice. And she would say to me, baby, don't you ever let someone disrespect you. And no matter where I am, mommy transitioned almost two years ago. But I hear her every time someone thinks they're going to step up and disrespect me. Mommy said, don't you ever let someone disrespect you. Really? I don't think he'll be utilizing the advice of his mother in this one. In fact, he's going to need another lawyer. Out of the, he's lawyered up, you know, the FBI investigation, the Justice Department investigation that so many of you have given him a pass on. He's going to have to lawyer up. And um, his attitude of late has been is that people have been knocking down his door saying, Eric, how can we help you? We know you're innocent. We want to pay for your lawyers. You know, uh, New York has reached out to me. And they asked Eric, how can we help? And they wanted to donate to my uh, campaign account. And I said, you can't use money for campaign account to pay for uh, legal expenses. Um, Our compliance attorney, uh, based on a law that was passed by the city council, uh, looked into the records, spoke to COIB. They told them the methodology that they could use to open up a a legal uh, trust. Uh, to pick up the course of legal expenses. You know, we saw what happened with the former mayor. It was almost a million dollars in legal fees he had. And so of everyday New Yorkers that reached out and said, we want to help you, mayor, you know, uh, you know, we made sure that it was done in a proper way. And I want to thank those New, York- New Yorkers. You know, I, I am just overwhelmed with gratitude that, of people who have watched my work all these years. And they're saying that, listen, we want to, we want to be with you during this period of time, and that's what New Yorkers are. And that's how, that's how that came about. Really? So basically that was a nice way of saying, show me the money. That's what it's all about, show me the money. So I'm to believe that now that he has all these legal bills, because he's got a lawyer up, that people came up to him and said, Eric, how can I contribute to your legal fund? 
stole me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. So coming to his rescue is his old partner in crime, Frank Caron, his chief fundraiser, his former chief of staff, who's already raising money for his reelection. What hubris. They blamed it. They said, oh, Brianna, that's who the FBI raid was against, Brianna. That was his fundraiser. She's not his fundraiser. It's always been Frank Caron. So he's saying now he's coming back to fundraise for the mayor's uh, lawyering up defense. Interesting that in these charges of sexual assault, we'll see how it pans out. But again, here was another guy who was championing on this uh, bill that passed and was signed into law by Kathy Hochul, the Adult Survivors Act that has just expired. In fact, she wants to actually extend it for another year. And now he's saying that New Yorkers are knocking down the door to uh, contribute to his legal defense fund in the FBI investigation, but he's going to use corporation counsel to defend him against this woman if it ever goes to civil trial. Seems to me, Broadway Bill Lee, he's going to be quite distracted with all all these meetings he's going to have with all lawyers. And by the way... um, He did give uh, P. Diddy the keys to the city back on September 15th. Listen to the award that he gave to the guy who had not only one civil suit filed against him, but he scored the daily double two before the window closed. And the key to the city from the bad boy of politics, give your hand together to Sean P. Diddy Cole. Show some love. Yeah, well, uh, he's a bad boy, all right. His uh, lawyer, Benjamin Braffman, has not has not responded here, but I would bet you he's worth almost a billion dollars. He's settling with the second claimant, the woman that he had met when she was going to Syracuse University. By the way, what these women allege against him is freaky-deaky stuff. This guy's a freak. I mean, he likes filming, he likes watching, he, he likes um, manual stimulation uh, while this is going. He's a freak! And then, of course, is Andrew Evilice Cuomo, who claims that he's asexual, that he, like, was on the verge of going to the seminary to become a priest. Yeah, right. Like his father, yeah, yeah, Mario, at one time was considering the seminary, as was Rudy Giuliani and his very dear friend Peter Powers. And yes, the corrupt Eric Ulrich out there mobbed up. But don't you remember how Andrew Evelice Cuomo, who now claims, no, I don't know what these 11 women are saying. Uh, so I was very Italian-esque, you know, I got a little handsy with him. It's part of the Italian tradition. Tell that to my grandfather, Fidelo Bianchino. He would have broke his arms and said, what are you talking about? Keep your hands to yourself. <sighs> Remember when he was riding high and thinking, 
My next residence will be 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, where every few nights on CNN, which at one time had been the Clinton National Network, it became the Cuomo National Network, with his brother Fredo interviewing Michael Corleone. Now, you know, I've seen you referred to a little bit recently as the love gov, and I'm wondering if that's bleeding into your demeanor at all, making you a little soft on the president. Um, that you don't want to really criticize him because you need him and now is not a time for fighting. But don't you have to balance that with calling him out uh, if he's doing things that you don't think are great for the people of your state to be hearing and experiencing? Love Gov? I'm, I've always I've always been a soft guy. I am the Love Gov. I'm a cool dude in loose mood. You know that. I just say, let it go. Just go with the flow, baby. You know. Yeah. He didn't touch any of these women. No, 11. I I hear people here at this station. Oh, Frank Morano. Oh, absolutely not. No. No. No way. No way. Guy's a perv. Hell no. Governor perv. Hell no. And now one of these 11 has filed a civil lawsuit. And he'll continue to use Frank Morano. To make excuses for his aberrant behavior. And then probably what bothered me more than ever, he said it's an Italian thing to put your hands to kiss people. Huh. Maybe in northern Italy, but in southern Italy, get out of here. My grandfather, Fidelo Bianchino, he'd say, one young, keep your hands to yourself. And you don't kiss that woman unless she wants to be kissed. Gabish! Gavish Wanya! Fatali Fatitu! Isofora Kesakais! Do not bring Udiscraziade to this house! You treat a woman the way you would treat your mother, with respect on a pedestal. Now, if I ever, I mean, if I ever see you here again, you die just like that. So let me get it straight. Is the Italian tradition of being a perv like Andrew Evilized Cuomo justifying that, blaming it on, oh, it's the Italian tradition? Or was my grandfather Fidela Bianchino correct? You treat women like you would treat your mother. You put them up on a pedestal. You keep your hands to yourself and you kiss only when they want to be kissed. If not, you are disgraziata to this family. I think my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, although he could not read, he could not write, he was a ditch digger, was a lot more accurate about the Italian-American tradition than that perv of all pervs, Andrew Evilize Cuomo. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa.
smells like teen spirit. Teenagers with hormones crashing through their cranium. And men with too much testosterone getting into double trouble and either saying, I don't remember, I never saw that woman, they're making it up, it's culturally appropriated for my Italian heritage. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, not a single time, never. And rather all these denials, because so many of you are apologists for them, say, oh, they're just all gold diggers. These guys couldn't have done that. They all wanted that Adult Survivors Act put into effect by Kathy Hochul to get Donald Trump with the most ridiculous lawsuit probably ever filed of the many ridiculous lawsuits in New York State Supreme Court, the rape lawsuit by E. Jean Carroll. Remember, never trust anybody with three names. And remember, I'm not a Trumper. And they were all cheering on the sidelines. Oh, yeah, get him, get him, get him. And now it's done a boomerang on all of them. And it's interesting to see what all these guys are saying. Not me. Couldn't be. Even though we know guys have high levels of testosterone. So, I have proposed a remedy. So far, I don't have many who are subscribing to that. It used to be when a man would have, let's say, suit pants. uh, That by your fly, it was not a zipper. Or buttons. See, I'm old enough to remember that. I'm almost 70, Broadway Billy. You probably can remember that. Where you had buttons on your trouser instead of a zipper. Do you remember in the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger was on the stage. And he actually announced to the crowd, My button, my button popped. And all of a sudden, a snake emerged from uh, amidst his fly. And they wanted to charge him with indecent exposure on the stage. Originally, when he came to America. But he blamed it on the button that was popping on his trouser pants. When normally there would be a zipper. And he was, he said, someone who did not want to wear briefs or BVDs or Fruit of the Looms. Somehow I don't believe that excuse, but... It saved him from being charged with indecent exposure. My button, my button on my pants popped into the audience. (laughs) See, that was it. Can't use that excuse now, guys. What I have oftentimes said is there are two other remedies. Broadway Billy, think about it. And I know nobody wants to discuss it now, but it was used to calm the savage instincts of men throughout the decades. Salt Peter. My balls were hot. If you did military service, it was always in your Bethes, in your maypole. If you were in prison, it was always in your Bethes, the pancakes. And they hope. And they hoped that you ordered more pancakes, because the more salt Peter you had, the less frisky you were. And it worked. 
It worked. And then, having experienced this, and there are guys out there who know what I'm talking about. What? In good God's name. When they take out it's your prostate. My when they take out your prostate, guess what? You don't have that urge to merge. Nope. As I've said to you, guys out there, a word to the wise. In honor of Bernard McGurk, who we dedicate each and every hour that I program here at WABC in the Bernard McGurk studio, he did not get a simple PSA blood test for prostate cancer. Did not. The stronger a guy is, they generally shrink away at the mere discussion of prostate cancer because they think if they're diagnosed and then all of a sudden a surgeon does what surgeons have done for decades, that they'll be impotent, a eunuch, and they'll be copying a squat on the porcelain palace instead of using the urinal. All of that is no longer true. But I will advise all of the men out there and their women folk, and please, women folk, harass, berate the men folk in your life that they need to start getting a PSA test, a simple blood test, a prick of the finger, at the age of 40. Not 55, as the U.S. government, U.S. Health Department tells you, at the age of 40. And there are so many other remedies than having your prostate removed, either the old-fashioned way by a doctor with a scalpel or what they call now radio, excuse me, robotic surgery, where a doctor guides the robot to remove your prostate. Heavens to Betsy, don't do it. There are so many other remedies. Unfortunately, that is the mechanism I chose for my stage four prostate cancer. I did not think it out. I did not patiently look at what some of the options were back in 2012. Now they've tripled, trebled the number of options rather than having your prostate removed. Again, if all these other remedies, new jack remedies fail, you can always have your prostate taken out. They'll tell you, don't do it. Uh, you know, you could metastasize. You need to get the prostate taken out. Well, guess what? As soon as I woke up after surgery, you know what they gave me? The doctor, a PSA test for prostate cancer. I said, I thought you took my prostate out. Uh, you never know. You never know. And uh, a guarantee, you're going to be incontinent. You're going to be impotent. You're going to be wearing a Depends diaper until the day they put you into that cardboard box eight feet under, and then it's ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Uh, it is a remedy to being frisky, that's for sure. I'll tell you that much. But, ladies and gentlemen, please. It's such a serious topic. It took the life of our colleague, Bernard McGurk. We don't want to see it take anybody else's life. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. of truth. Time and time again, our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, says to all of us here at WABC, just tell the truth. Let the chips fall where they may. And probably uh, I'm under the electron microscope more than most here at WABC because I'm always breaking news that is not favorably disposed towards either friends, fiends, or foes of me over the years. Especially telling is when uh, the information that I announced to all of you on the most powerful radio station by day in the nation, and then the most powerful radio station at night at dusk in the world, is aimed at somebody who thought they were my friend. Like, how could you do this, Kurt? I thought we were friends. I thought we were members of the same fraternity, the same party, the same belief system. And I have a standing operational agreement with our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, because he gets the cauliflower ear from everybody who calls to criticize me and suggests to Broadway Billy that I apologize, I bend on wounded knee, I retract, or... uh, that I be fired or suspended. And what he has said is, if you're wrong, you're gone. I accept that. It's high noon for me every day on the most powerful radio station in the nation. 
and then at night in the world. Because it is such a powerful entity. I understand that. You can destroy people's lives. You can defame them. You can slander them. Something that may leave an indelible imprint on them until the day they die. That's the responsibility we have with this microphone. And because I venture into arenas that few, if any, go, I'm more subject along the way of possibly making a mistake. And if I make a mistake, if I'm wrong, I'm gone. I'll never forget that time that uh, Congressman Peter King, who I've had a love-hate relationship with over the years, he's always so quick to say that he graduated from Brooklyn Prep, the Jesuit High School. I went to the same Jesuit High School years later, about about a decade apart. And uh, I got kicked to the curb in my senior year, having been student government president and resisted the dress code policy dress code policy that was wearing shirts and ties. In the final year of operation, talk about uh, walking the tightrope. And the Jesuits signed their, shined their boots on my backside, kicked me to the curb. And I never looked back, Broadway Billy. I learned from that there are consequences for your actions. The best lesson that I ever learned in my life. If you're wrong, you're gone. And I was wrong to challenge that policy because, as was explained to me by the headmaster, Father Alexander, before he kicked me to the curb, he goes, why do you think parents spend so much money to send their sons to this school? Part of the tradition is the wearing of the jacket and tie. If they didn't want that as part of the tuition, they would have said that or sent you to a public school or even a Catholic school that didn't have a policy that required the young men to wear jackets and ties. But you see, I came out of a generation in the 60s where we were told, don't trust anybody over 30, question authority. And I've always questioned authority. I'll soon be 70, and I will question authority till the day I die. But at times, you're going to get blowback. But there are others out there because of their pedigree, because they were born on third base, who have a special opportunity to resurrect themselves time and time again because they were birthed with a name that allows them an opportunity at ascension that others don't have or have to work very hard to achieve. One of those individuals is Andrew Ivalaiskumo. King Cuomo the uh, second, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo the first. Andrew would normally be at the Southampton retreat of his brother Fredo, Chris Cuomo, with a muscle between both ears, guarded by his wartime consigliere Joe Pacoco, who did six years for political corruption. They've hit the mattresses. They stir the marinara sauce. They are plotting. Michael Corleone, a.k.a. Andrew Evilize Cuomo's return to political office. He is off in Sicily. He has traced the foot route of Michael Corleone, who, if you remember, when killing the Irish uh, captain, 
at that uh, restaurant in the Bronx, remember? When they had to sit down with him and try to convince him that, hey, you know, your dad was wrong. He was out of step. The Godfather. Life continues. Let's see if we can amend our differences. And he went into the back house, the bathroom. He found the gun that had been planted there. And he blew away the captain and Salazzo, remember? Now, he had to leave the country, not because he blew away Salazzo. People were used to gangsters blowing away gangsters. But he killed the Irish captain of the NYPD. So he had to leave for a while, and he headed to Corleone in Sicily to retrace the roots of his father and also to fulfill the blood feud of what had been done to his family. Remember that story? In fact, if we could, uh, Broadway Bill Lee, uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty of why Andrew Evelice Cuomo is in Sicily, I want to play a cut of Godfather 2. It's in Italian. But remember, you saw it on the big screen, and it was in Italian then. I mean, maybe some theaters it had subtitles, so you understood what they were saying. But here was Michael Corleone being guarded in Sicily by gunmen with shotguns, which was traditional then, as he was flirting with a young young woman in Sicily. And the young men guarding uh, Michael Corleone while there were warning him that women are more dangerous than a loaded shotgun. Mamma mia, sono cascato innamorato. Ma vado su per la montagna. Oh. E che sei rimasto col pelo da un fulmine. Tieni. Lascia bene. In Sicilia le femmine sono come alupara. Is that true, ladies and gentlemen? Are women more dangerous than a loaded shotgun? The fact is, is that because of his last name, Cuomo, he's been given an opportunity at resurrection. Now he's hinting in a Vanity Fair article that his friend, Eric Adams, who's wounded politically, I think we can all agree, he's wounded politically, might be vulnerable to an indictment by federal authorities for political corruption and then maybe have to step aside the way he did for Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, the way his predecessor, Elliot Spitzer, did uh, for transporting prostitutes across state lines. Uh, like Jim McGreevy did, I call him McGreedy, who claimed that he had to step aside because he was a gay American bullfeathers uh, as governor of New Jersey. It was because he was corrupt and would have ended up being prosecuted for that. And now he's come full circle, right? He's running for mayor of Jersey City over my dead body. I'll be there to campaign against him. Because I know where his bones are buried and who buried him. And it has nothing at all to do with him being gay. It has to do with him being corrupt. They cannot run from that. They cannot hide from that. Andrew Evilice Cuomo has suggested that maybe in this Vanity Fair article he could come back and run for mayor 
if the opportunity grants itself, or run in a primary against Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb, or what I think ultimately he will do is run in a Democratic primary against Tish James. Vengeance. That's always been the part of the Cuomos. And I know them going back to Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo King Cuomo the first. So, as part of this attempt at a comeback, he has been granted the opportunity to broadcast here from WABC now five times. To you degenerate horse players, that's the Quinella, five times. He's been on with John Casamitidis. He's been on with Rita Cosby. Uh, he's been on with the uh, Suzanne Miller, the real estate woman with the podcast. And most recently, he was on uh, what I call the duo of uh, Udis Graziads. You had uh, the the Schifosa, Scaramucci. Oh, God, he makes my, my, my skin crawl. A man who was so enamored with my enemy of all enemies, John Gotti Sr., that he named his restaurant after the Bergen Hunt Fish and Shoot Human Beings Club, which is where the Gaudis would meet with John Gotti Sr. on 101st Avenue in Ozone Park. For two hours, we had to listen to him while Greg Kelly was away one day. Him and Scaramucci, the Sfachim versus the Schifosa. I got to tell you, it was torturous. It was just not good radio. The guy cannot deliver good radio because he just can't deliver. Although I will tell you that when it came uh, to uh, his interview with Cindy Adams, she humanized him much more. He was much easier to listen to in his interview with Cindy Adams because there it was more about the personal. There it was more about the old days. He lightened up. When it involves politics, he's always guarded, refusing to acknowledge that he was ever wrong. His stuff don't stink. Sort of like, uh, in a way, Donald Trump will never acknowledge that he did anything wrong. Never, never, never. They never do Eric Adams the same way. I think it's just part of their political mantra. To acknowledge that they were wrong would somehow show weakness. Can it be that maybe you're just not warm and fuzzy is that what was needed and wasn't there? First of all, I'm not fuzzy. I don't want to be fuzzy. I don't even know what fuzzy means. I'm from New York. We don't have fuzzy in New York. That is true. So you notice, for whatever reason, whether it was John Katsimatidis, Rita Cosby, the uh, Schifosa, Scaramucci, or even the podcast that he did with Suzanne Miller, the real estate woman. You didn't, you didn't get that, Andrew Cuomo. He was just too guarded. Cindy Adams, who obviously knew his father and his mother, Matilda, thank God she's still alive, and all of his brothers and sisters, and all, just the entire Cuomo, for, for the few moments, he put his guard down. That's when he was at his best on WABC with Cindy Adams. 
not with the others. And I listened to them all, forcibly listened. It was painful. It was torturous because it wasn't entertaining. It wasn't enlightening. It was very defensive. He went on his high horse and started to criticize others for some of the same sins that he had committed in political office. And it was intolerable to listen. And I'm sure that John Katsimatidis will probably give him a sixth chance or a seventh chance or an eighth chance to make his political comeback. But I got to tell you, for people like uh, Andrew Cuomo, Elliot Spitzer, who tried his comeback, remember, he ran against that Mameluke Scott, uh, Scott, I was going to say Lebedo, right? No, no, that's that's the hero from Staten Island, my one of the rebels. The Mameluke. How, why am I forgetting his name? The former borough president. Eh, it'll come to me. I just hate him so much. But anyway, uh, an attempted comeback by him who beat... Uh, Elliot uh, Spitzer, to become city controller. And now he's going to try to make a comeback of some type. An Asian woman who had aided and abetted him in his campaign to be mayor uh, said he was uh, way too frisky in the cab. Uh, His hands were all over her. And now he's going to sue her for defamation, slander, whatever. It's it's not. It goes on and on and on and on and on. It's over for these guys. They don't get it. It's over. A new generation has come in. They don't want to they don't want to deal with some guy with all the baggage, right? It's uh, most Americans don't want to see Trump or Biden again. They don't. It's forced upon them. Oh, that's right. Scott Stringer that Mameluke. He's waiting for Gerald the Whale Nadler to die, and then he'll try to jump in and take over for him And obviously what would be a primary for that seat. That originally Nadler, when it was merged with Carolyn Maloney from the Upper East Side, beat her, in which he, imagine, he ran on the fact, I'll be the only Jewish congressman left. You got to vote for me. I mean, is that desperate or what? And he beat the panda woman, right? Carolyn Maloney's claim to fame was she wanted pandas in Central Park. And now John has picked up the ball on that, Katsimatidis, and is negotiating with the Red Chinese to try to get pandas on loan from Red China, eating bamboo into uh, Central Park Zoo. And he feels that it will attract 10 million people as tourists. My quantum mind, John. Uh, Sorry. Not unless they wear bulletproof body condoms while visiting the pandas in Central Park. Ain't going to happen. Great idea. It definitely will encourage more people coming into the Central Park Zoo. But 10 million, eh, what's the over-under point spread on that? Let's eat some bamboo and contemplate that. I'll talk about that with Nancy, my wife, on the Animal Welfare Hour, Sunday night, 10 to 11, That'll wrap up my long week of broadcasting uh, this ho- Thanksgiving holiday, which will equate to 32 hours. And also the announcement that Nancy and I will be syndicated in the Animal Welfare Hour by John Katsimatidis and Chad Lopez, the general manager of our parent company, Red Apple Media, across the nation. And Nancy, in just less than 24 hours, will be joining me for the first two hours 
of the best side of the other side of midnight. She gets to pick all the topics, gets to pick all the music. And that comes after two stellar performances on the Rip and Read on Thanksgiving, 12 to 1, and earlier on Friday, 12 to 1, in which we talked animal welfare, but we talked a lot of other subjects. So uh, in order to prevent Frank Morano from uh, planning an insurrection with apparently three others here who are upset that I get so much talk time here. Curtis is going for the record. Broadway Billy, so so upset that Frank Morano is. Ooh, why doesn't he give time to everybody else? Curtis is going for the record. And he's been joined by other compatriots here who think that I have too much talk time. Curtis is going for the record. Even uh, John Katzmatidis is giving me a run for my time on the station and the fact that he just accumulated 15 hours this past week, which is double his normal uh, show load of about seven to eight hours. Curtis is going for the record. Meaning the WABC will now, the acronym stand for Always Broadcasting Katzmatidis and Always Broadcasting Curtis. Curtis is going for the record. So what I've decided to do to mollify the many critics out there, starting with that Mama Luke Frank Morano, is have my wife on with me more and more. Because she has a lot to say. And it's also a little bit of estrogen because we have so much testosterone here at this station. Other than Rita Cosby and Cindy Adams. I'm trying to think of the other woman here. Dr. Maria Ryan comes on with Rudy from time to time. And I'm forgetting the queen of talk radio, Joan Hamburg. There's not all that much testosterone. I mean... Estrogen, right? A lot of testosterone. A lot of testosterone. So I'd say Rita has the most number of female hours. And then you have, again, Cindy Adams. You have Joan Hamburg. And uh, Dr. Maria Ryan. But that really pales in comparison to the testosterone. We're going to try to level that out a bit. But I got to deal with this guy who's coming back. This guy is like a zombie, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, like back from the grave. I got to play whack-a-mole with him since he is ready to bury his friend, Eric Adams. Imagine how Eric Adams feels. Everybody knows I don't like Eric Adams. I don't like him for what he's done to our city. But the guy who's thrown Andrew Cuomo a lifeline amongst Democrats is Eric Adams. He's met with him publicly. He's had meals with him. He's taken advice from him. He hasn't sort of put him up on a shelf. Notice, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, his loyalty is just to the Cuomo brand. He sees that Eric Adams is wounded. Even his supporters know that. And he's ready to bury him politically. What I will never forgive him for out of the many things, is what he said about our beloved America. We're not going to make America great again. It was never that great. We're not going to make America great again. It was never that great. We're not going to make America great again. It was never that great. We're not going to make America great again. All right, enough already. In all of his appearances here at WABC, and there have been many, He's never been asked to explain that. America was never that great. And then in 2014, he began 
a cacophony, a chorus of Democrats telling us that may not be on board with Cuomo or Hochul or Eric Adams. Get the hell out of New York. Are they these extreme conservatives who are right to life, a poor assault weapon, anti-gay? Is that who they are? Because if that's who they are, and if they are the extreme conservatives, they have no place in the state of New York. Because that's not who New Yorkers are. Hmm. That was 2014. And then a statement that he made that had jeopardized our safety here in New York State, in New York City. When in uh, the campaign against Molinaro, in which he would grant him only one debate that he said would have to be at 7 o'clock in the morning at CBS uh, TV Studios. He called ice thugs. Again, for edification for all of you, now that we are under the threat of a third wave of terrorism here in New York City, because we know that they think the third time is the charm. They're going to run the table. And with our borders wide open, and it's Cuomo who encouraged that originally as governor, along with Eric Adams, uh, the ebony and ivory, they, they don't want to close the border. ICE was created in the aftermath of the attack of 9-11 in 2003 by Tom Ridge, the first Homeland Security Director of Bush 43, the former governor of Pennsylvania, who might have been his vice president and not Dick Cheney. But there was a lobby against Tom Ridge because he was pro-choice. They said you had to be pro-life. See how stupid that is? And who do we end up with? Darth Vader, Dick Cheney, the guy who oversaw the selection of vice presidential candidates, ended up becoming the vice president himself. And by the way, we know he was running the presidency and got us involved in Iraq. Notice how that worked out, looking for weapons of mass destruction. Tom Ridge would have made a much better vice president, and the reason he wasn't chosen is that he was pro-choice. Can you imagine that? And we ended up. With Darth Vader, Dick Cheney. Stupid. And we're still paying that price. Now, Iraq is a surrogate to Iran. A surrogate. But anyway, let's hear what Andrew Evil Ice Cuomo had to say about ICE. I was a weak old man. As he doubled down. He doubled down on ICE being thugs. New York State is the state that says we will not cooperate with ICE. They're a bunch of thugs. He politicized ICE. They're a bunch of thugs. We said we will sue them if they violate any criminal laws in the state of New York. And so now we've been called a sanctuary city, a sanctuary state. There is no such law. They tried to pass it in the state legislature. They passed it in the state assembly. Thank God it did not pass in the state senate. There's no doubt uh, Andrew Cuomo at the time governor would have signed it into law like he signed in and promoted no cash bail. Boy, how quickly he isn't confronted about that. Five times he's been here at WABC. Five times. Nobody has asked him about, why did you call ICE thugs? 
And now he wants to resurrect himself and make his political comeback on the bones of his friend, Eric Adams. You see, you say, Curtis, you have no loyalty. Well, no, it's because I say from the jumpstart, I trust no politicians. When you look at a guy like, imagine, Andrew Evilize Cuomo has been thrown a lifeline time and time again by Mayor Eric Adams, and now he can't wait to take the shiv out and stab him. Oh, I think ultimately he'll want to run for attorney general against Tish James. The Trumpers would support him and the Cuomosexuals would support him because they collectively hate Tish James. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Remember Sade, smooth operator? Ah, applied to Barack Obama. But remember, Andrew Evilized Cuomo was on the cusp of that with the Cuomo sexuals. Remember? Is it possible? Why? Do you have any recommendation? No, but listen, I know people. I mean, I'm I'm interested in helping my friend. Yeah, well, if you know someone, keep me in mind. The only time he was humanized was with Cindy Adams. Out of all the interviews here at WABC where he was turgid, stiff, unresponsive, unapologetic, showing no sense of humanity, but everything was like pontificating, just beyond a description of somebody who's been wounded who would say, you know, I've made mistakes, right? We've certainly all made mistakes. 
I've certainly had to apologize for my many mistakes. And there will be mistakes in the future if I'm still alive that I'll have to apologize for. It's part of life. Well, we have individuals who never, never mess up. They're led by Andrew Evilized Cuomo, followed by Donald Trump, followed by Eric Adams. They never, ever, ever make mistakes. I retract my earlier baseless comments about Kevin Roche and sincerely apologize for making them. Oh, can I hear that apology now? Oh, the whole thing. Uh, I had to apologize on the radio to actor James Kahn when he was alive. Not here at WABC, but at AM 970, The Answer, when uh, I wasted four years of my life, a station that nobody listens to. I'll never get those four years back. But the lawyer for James Kahn objected to the fact that I said that he was uh, affiliated with uh, Moosh Russo, the uh, head of an organized crime family, the Columbos, took great offense to that, great offense, and threatened to sue me, which I didn't give a damn. Hey, just get online. But the station of Holy Rollers, Salem Communication, was so afraid. Oh, he might come. He might pimp slap us. Oh, please, apologize, Curtis. I would like to take this opportunity to correct a few statements I made in earlier broadcasts on my show concerning the well-known actor James Kahn. Contrary to my prior statements, Mr. Kahn was not in attendance at a court hearing involving Andrew Russo in New York on April 15, 2011. And therefore, he did not kiss Mr. Russo on the mouth. At that hearing, as I previously stated, I also falsely stated that Mr. Khan was a trisexual. I have no knowledge about Mr. Khan's sexual preferences or activities, and it was not my intention to question Mr. Khan's sexual preferences or activities. Although Mr. Khan had written a letter to the judge in support of Mr. Russo obtaining bail, I incorrectly referred to that letter as a friend of the court brief. Further, Mr. Russo did not assist Mr. Khan in his early acting career. I retract my earlier baseless comments about Mr. Khan and sincerely apologize for making them. Yeah, right. And you know who wrote that apology? His stupid lawyer. Right? You thought that was a parody, right? That's satire. No. That's the apology the lawyer for James Khan wrote up. I remember the Mama Luke was my producer at that time, Frank Morano. And he said, Curtis, you'll never believe the apology they are demanding that you read on AM 970, the answer that nobody listens to, or they're going to fire you. I said, no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And so then first Frank read it in my voice, you know, trying to intonate me. And uh, I said, oh, I'll read that. You know how many times I read that? Forty times. It was great satire. It was like a joke. And some lawyer got a lot of money to write that for James Conn. By the way, everything I said about James Conn was true. Now, I want to I want to apologize to you, Bob, on behalf of our ownership, our management, every person here, the maintenance woman who cleans out these studios at night, everyone. <laughs> Broadway Bill here on behalf of Avery, on behalf of uh, his uh, his phone screener, Alex, 
And on behalf of Matt, uh, who we're going to be talking about later, who took my belt and went into the bathroom, and you know what he does when you take a belt, I, I apologize to you on behalf of all of us here at WABC to you, Bob. You see, I am capable of apologizing. Have you ever heard Andrew Evil Ice Cuomo apologize? Never. Donald Trump? Never. Eric Adams? Never. Their stuff don't stink. Now, how could that possibly be? They've never made mistakes. You'll never hear that from them. Never. Not only did you give me the information, right? and I don't want to make Curtis angrier than he is, not only did you give me the information, you didn't even wait till I got here. You texted me when I left the station already yesterday. You're like, right. take a look at this. <laughs> Curtis just apologized like a little bitch. <laughs> you see, I've certainly apologized at times, which anybody out there listening now, if you've lived any kind of a life, you've had to apologize probably many times over. Rightfully so, at times where you didn't necessarily want to apologize, but you knew it was in your best interest, your family's best interest, your career's best interest, so you sucked it up. I've never heard Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo apologize for all the harm that he's caused to so many people. Never heard President Donald Trump or Citizen Trump apologize for the harm that he caused, has caused to many people. Likewise, Eric Adams. Even though they're different in terms of their political uh, ideology, one thing these humongous egos all share, they never freaking apologize. Never. Well, there was nothing I could really do about it. It was really all voluntary, and it was extraordinary when you think about it, that society uh, acted with that uniformity voluntarily, because I had no enforcement capacity. No, we didn't. So... You have a reduced trust in government. You heard the revisionism there. The lockdowns that we experienced from March of 2020 imposed upon us by Andrew Evilice Cuomo were voluntarily adhered to by us. No threats, no arrests, no being ostracized, demonized. It was all voluntary. Oh, boy. The revisionism, ladies and gentlemen. The revisionism. I do you anyway. When we come back, I will let you in on the fact that there are three people here at WABC who will never, ever give him an inch, a foot, a yard in terms of his comeback. Starts with Sid Rosenberg in the morning. Yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, all the rest of the time. And yes, Bill O'Reilly, who has begun a scorched earth policy against the revisionists, the non-apologists, Andrew Evilized Como, who has launched a political comeback attempt. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Thank all of you for your time, your suggestions, your encouragement, and your prayers. And I look forward to continuing our conversation in the weeks and months to come. Hey, B. 
It's me. If you're there, pick up. I was just watching you on C-SPAN. <sighs> anyway, call me back. You seem to float onto the floor. Democratic Convention 2004. I never wanted anybody more than I wanted you. So I put down my carry sign Knew I had to make you mine Smile black and sexy, you're so fine Cause I gotta cry I'm not trying to walk my way to 2008 Baby, you're the best candidate I like it when you get hot on Hillary in debate Don't you pick up your phone Remember that classic song as she put down her carry sign and fell in love with Barack Obama as we started this hour with Sade's Smooth Operator. Actually, it applied to Barack Obama more so than Andrew Evilized Cuomo. Andrew Evilized Cuomo, who had risen to a point where the homosexuals out there, women, would wait in front of their television sets every day at 12 noon for their Nutata de Café in Ubisquet to get lectured to by Andrew Evilized Cuomo, who would always flex his nipple ring underneath his pullover and excite them and titillate them as he would tell them to mask up uh, distance and then only to tell them well, what was it you just played? You got to play the old one where he said it was all voluntary. It's not that he demanded that we have to mask up. It's not that he demanded that we socially distance. It's not that he would send the sheriffs in padlock businesses. It's not that he would order draconian measures against those of us who would not accede to his will. Through revisionism, he says it was all voluntary. Well, there was nothing I could really do about it. It was really all voluntary, and it was extraordinary when you think about it voluntary. that society uh, acted with that uniformity voluntarily because I had no enforcement capacity. No, we didn't. So you have a reduced trust in government. And then recently on an appearance, with Katz and Cosby at five, he started to lecture everybody about how the first responsibility of government is to provide safety. Our first responsibility is to make sure that New Yorkers feel safe, right? Uh, and we have different political opinions, and that's fine, and you can be pro-Palestinian, pro-Israeli, uh, and you can protest and you can demonstrate, but uh there is there is a line and the line is the law uh and public safety you've seen anti-semitic uh activity increase over 200% last month uh you have physical acts of violence uh as well as other uh hate-based assaults and we have to say uh that's just not okay you're safe in this city really uh, quickly, he thinks we forget the summer of Black Lives Matter and Antifa 
when he did Jack Diddley squat, nothing to stop them. In fact, he had suggested that the National Guard be brought out by Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb to protect Jews throughout New York State. He was quickly followed by Bill O'Reilly on the same Cats and Cosby roundtable discussion. And let me just suggest that O'Reilly gave the greatest 10-minute rant that I've ever heard in talk radio. He was eplectic about what Cuomo had said. I'm always amazed that, you know, Andrew Cuomo comes on, and this is not a personal attack on him. Well, who do you think is responsible for the disorder in the city? Disorder is a contagion. And these protesters, these anti-Semites, they know nothing's going to happen to them. They can spit on anybody they want. What's going to happen to you? Nothing. You punch somebody in the mouth, nothing will happen to you. Well, who is the architect of that? I, I believe it was Governor Andrew Cuomo, right? Did he not sign the no bail thing? Protesters know nothing's going to happen to them. And then he's on going, oh, we can't let people shut down Grand Central. Say, what do you mean, we? It's you. Perfect. But that was just a setup to him continuing to say, we don't need the National Guard. You don't need the National Guard here. That's insane. Prosecute people who assault other people. Slap a federal hate charge on them if you can prove it's anti-Semitic. That's what you do. And then... O'Reilly talked about how this whole city is now ruined. This whole city was ruined. Ruined. Quality of life. In the last 10 years, under these Democrats. Ruined. With a capital R. And now it's, we can't let them? Mm. And then finally, he said, the quality of life now sucks. It is so absurd. To listen to these people go, we can't let them. Do you not have eyes in your head? The quality of life in this city is about the lowest level I've seen since the crack wars. Because of you, we can't let them. And the voters will vote for you. God almighty. That was Bill O'Reilly's rant. That was reflective of what most people think about Andrew Evil Cuomo. I can only assure him, if he's listening on the island of Sicily, where he is now vacationing with his daughters, one of whom uh, was uh, engaged. That was the other page six story. This guy thinks he's going to get back into political office through page six now in the New York Post. As he is visiting the town of Corleone and retracing the footsteps of Michael Corleone, who, if you remember, had to leave America after shooting the Irish police captain and waiting till the heat was off only to return, like uh, Andrew Evelice Cuomo, to take over the crown of the godfather, a.k.a. Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo. Hello, this is Governor Andrew Cuomo. Really? I guess uh, 
you somehow think you're going to overcome all of that baggage. Well, I can assure you that others will give him an opportunity to resurrect himself, to use revisionism, to spew his hollowed rhetoric, advice, suggestions, all of that that falls on deaf ears. But I know, and having had conversations with Sid Rosenberg in the morning, who hates, who loathes, who detests Andrew Cuomo, Bill O'Reilly, who clearly had the best 10-minute rant I've ever heard in 35 years of listening to talk radio, because it was visceral, it was real, it was raw, it was rage after listening to him. It was not pre-scripted. And remember, this same Bill O'Reilly does a program once a week on News Nation or something like that that nobody watches with Chris Cuomo. A, uh, by the way, Broadway Bill E, uh, occasionally Frank Morano is on that, uh, that network. He's being interviewed. I forget by which person of no consequence. I think maybe seven people watch that. But Bill O'Reilly does that show with Chris Cuomo, Fredo, once a week. And so, obviously, he has an affinity for the Cuomos, or he wouldn't even waste his time. I mean, more people will listen to him on WABC in just one 10-minute rage that he gave than would ever watch or hear him in an entire year of appearances on News Nation with Chris Cuomo, a.k.a. Fredo. I never knew. At the time, I was making anyone feel uncomfortable. You make me feel uncomfortable every time you speak, Andrew Evilized Cuomo. So let me be the first to announce that there are three people on the most powerful radio station in the nation, starting with Sid Rosenberg in the mornings, then yours truly, the Rip and Read in the afternoons, along with Bill O'Reilly, who will make sure that the truth is told about the revisionism of Andrew Evilized Cuomo, who to this day, to this day, will not apologize, will not take any responsibility for all the harm that he did as governor. In the wake of all those elderly people who died as a result of an actual order that he signed that transferred them medical care from hospitals, COVID patients back to the nursing homes. He has never, ever, ever taken responsibility for that. Neither has Governor Murphy in New Jersey, that half-in-the-bag governor, nor Gruesome Newsom in California, Governor Newsom, who has illusions of grandeur, Based on what Joe Biden said the other day, that he'll be the future president of the United States, all three of them did the same thing. And as a result, thousands died. So, hey, gruesome Newsom, over my dead body, pretty boy, will you ever be president of the United States? 
Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Everybody always picking on me. That's him on his knees. I know that's him. Getting seven come eleven down in the boys' gym. Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. He's a clown. That Charlie Brown. He's gonna get caught. Just you wait and see. Why is everybody always picking on me? Who's always writing on the On me. This is becoming the new theme song of Eric Adams' Swagger Man with No Plan by the Coasters, Charlie Brown, right? Every other day, all we hear is moaning and groaning from the Swagger Man with No Plan. Why is everybody always picking on me? Why is the Biden White House picking on me? Why... Is Kathy Hochul picking on me? Why is Curtis Sliwa always picking on me? Why, oh why? Why is everybody always picking on me? Why, oh why, oh why? Is this woman that I don't even know, he says, preparing to sue me for sexual assault? And I didn't. I don't know who she is. I don't know how she might have come into contact with me. Why? Why? Oh, why? Is everybody picking on me? Eric Adams, victim. Eric Adams, sitting there with a tin, actually a tin can. Almost. He's not even a cup. It's a tin can in his hand. Begging for money from Washington, from Albany, and now from all of you. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, he claims that his peeps have heard the cry of help that he needs legally as he's lawyered up from so many cases that directly involve himself. He is just overwhelmed with gratefulness and joy over how you're all volunteering to give your money to him. You know, uh, New Yorkers reached out to me, and they asked Eric, how can we help? And they wanted to donate to my uh, campaign account, and I said, you can't use money for campaign account to pay for uh, legal expenses. Um, Our compliance attorney, uh, based on a law that was passed by the city council, 
uh, looked into the records, spoke to COIB. They told them the methodology that they could use to open up a, a legal uh, trust uh, to pick up the cost of legal expenses. You know, we saw what happened with the former mayor. It was almost a million dollars in legal fees he had. And so of everyday New Yorkers that reached out and said, we want to help you, mayor, you know, uh, you know, we made sure that it was done in a proper way. And I want to thank those New, York- New Yorkers. You know, I, I am just overwhelmed with gratitude mm. of people who have watched my work all these years. Mm. And they're saying that, listen, we want to we want to be with you during this period of time. And that's what New Yorkers are. And that's how that's how that came about. Wow. Who knew they just want to throw money? At Eric Adams. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. I'm amazed. Unsolicited, knocking at his door, saying, take my money, Eric Adams. Take my money. Now, it's interesting because he has set up a legal defense fund. And his bag man has come forward, that's Frank Caron, who did his fundraising originally to enable him to run for mayor, served as his chief of staff for a year, and then decided to get the hell out of town, has become the number one lobbyist in the city so that if you want to do business with the city, you have to go through Frank Caron, and now is claiming that he's going to raise money for this legal defense fund even though if you do business with the city or intend on doing business with the city, you can't contribute. But we know what this is about, getting wine dined in pocket line. It's fundraising that has gotten Eric Adams into the mess that he's in. But then again, so many of you, so many of you, really feel that Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, is being framed by Joe Biden because he stood up to Joe Biden about the illegal alien situation, just like this caller said that Adams is being framed. Um, I think that uh, what's happened to Adams is uh, he's trying to be framed. He's uh, being pushed to do things that he really doesn't want to do. He's being framed. He's being pushed to do things that he really doesn't want to do. He He's trying. I hear that. Oh, he's trying. He's, what is he trying to screw us and destroy us? But he's trying. He's trying his best. Then uh, a caller, Joe, called him out for what he really is, Eric Adams. He's a moron. He, he You have to realize that I've run the biggest organization in the world, and I'm running it into the ground. That's correct. Remember when he said before an audience in Washington, D.C., of mayors who African-American from around the country, that he runs the biggest corporation? I, I'm the CEO of the largest corporation in America, and my bald head, earring-wearing swagger is running this city my way. Yeah, yeah, my way. Yeah. That's swag. Yes, sir. Right into He's the ground. Moron. He, he, you have to realize that I've run the biggest organization in the world, and I'm running it into the ground. Exactly. I concur, Joe. And then uh, Joe called the mayor a buffoon. But I'm, I'm a genius. I'm a genius. And you're, about, you're a, a buffoon. If you open up the picture dictionary and look up the word buffoon, your picture is there, Mayor Adams. Do you remember that? 
saying that about somebody else? Hmm. I wonder who he's talking about. Any time you start out a question with the name Curtis Sliwa, that in itself states that it would do a disservice to me and other New Yorkers for me to even respond to that. Curtis Sliwa? I mean, I mean, if you go look in a dictionary for the Roy Buffoon and tell me what picture you come up with. Hmm. Well, according to Joe, it's really you. But I'm, I'm a genius. I'm a genius. And you're, about, you're a, a buffoon. If you open up a picture dictionary and look up the word buffoon, your picture is there, Mayor Adams. Do you remember that? Saying that about somebody else? Now, think about that. If you run to your Merriam-Webster dictionaries right now and you look under the term buffoon, do you see my picture there or Eric Adams' picture there? Or maybe both of us. Sort of like the ebony and ivory of buffoons. Curtis Sliwa? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And now, you know, he's in trouble because of his many trips to Turkey. Out of all the countries in the world, you know, originally, if you were involved in politics in New York in the 60s, Let's say we go back to the time when Koch was battling uh, Mario Faccia Bruta Como. Koch prevailed in the mayoralty and eventually Mario Como prevailed against Koch in the governor's run. You went to the three eyes. It was almost like a rite of passage if you want to succeed politically. You went to Italy, you went to Ireland, and you went to Israel. Recently that's changed. Uh, you no longer go to Italy. You no longer go to Ireland. You go still, you go to Israel. Uh, you go to the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. Obviously, you put a little notation in there. You daven a little bit. You know, you fake it uh, because you're looking for a Jewish vote. You go to the DR, Santo Domingo, because you want the growing Dominican vote. And you go to the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico because you want the Puerto Rican vote which Puerto Ricans can vote by birth because they are citizens, whether they were born in the Commonwealth or born in mainland here in the United States. But for some odd reason, out of all the places in the world that Eric Adams has traveled to the most, Turkey is the country. And so uh, when he did his weekly press conference in which he takes off-topic questions because if he had to do it the rest of the week, uh, Broadway Billy, he has a difficult time chewing gum and thinking at the same time. But he prepares a whole week for the off-topic questions, and he knew he was going to be asked about his travel to Turkey, and this is when it first took place. The first time I went was during Thanksgiving. Uh, (laughs) We just picked up one day and said, um, you know, hey, let's go to Turkey. Uh. So he's sitting there at the Thanksgiving Day dinner table with his son, Jordan. And on a whim in a whirl, he decides, hey, Jordan, let's just pick up and go to Jordan. Can I hear that again? Uh, that He just out of nowhere uh, pinned uh, the tail on a donkey, right, on the map. Look, it's Turkey. Let's go there. The first time I went was during Thanksgiving. <laughs> we just picked up one day and said, um... You know, hey, let's go to Turkey. Yeah, let's go to Turkey. Yeah, I'm sure. He expects us to believe that. 
Now, he went often when he was Brooklyn Borough President, but before he was Brooklyn Borough President, he was the state senator representing Bed-Stuy and Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and apparently that's the first time he went to Turkey. I actually traveled to Turkey for the first time as a state senator. Uh, when I went over to Azerbaijan and to Baku. By the way, uh, he went to Azerbaijani too. And at a fundraiser in Sheepshead Bay, organized by his bagman Frank Caron in 2017 in Sheepshead Bay at a catering hall, not far from the old Lundy's and Rendazzo's and Pips, the uh, the comedy club. The place was packed from people from Azerbaijani who are all Muslim. And Eric Adams, at the end of his speech, in order to try to gin up the contribution, said, and you know, when I retire, I'm going to retire to Baku, the capital of Azerbaijani, of which he can't even find Azerbaijani on a map. By the way, Frank Caron, now the corrupt one, he does represent the dictator in charge of Azerbaijani. Ah, birds of a feather flock together. The mayor says often, uses the word often, teamwork, and it was exactly that. An incredible effort. There was never any doubt. There was never any hesitation. The team got to work, and, and we, we made it happen. Now we can only hope for the best. Yeah, carry the loot from Turkey and Azerbaijani. Oh, my God. And while the mayor is mired down with all these personal inf- inflicted problems about his fundraising, and uh, straw donors, and folks trying to gain influence with City Hall. The other day, he said something that I thought for sure the press corps, including our own director of our news department, Noam Layden, and James Flippin, and uh, Bob, it better have sound brown, or it won't run on the news, would have taken apart, but no, they let it just fly, as it was said, now, you notice the weather has gotten more inclement, uh, Broadway, Billy. It's a lot colder out there. Were you aware that the illegal aliens, the migrants, have said that they want to sleep in the streets of New York City? Did you know that? Believe it or not, there are migrant and asylum seekers who are saying, we want to sleep on the streets. Could I hear that again, please? Believe it or not, there are migrant and asylum seekers who are saying... We want to sleep on the streets. Now, I would have thought right there, the press corps would have said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What illegal aliens are going to give up their hotel room at the Milford Plaza? We're paying $400 a night for them. We give them three squares, culturally appropriate food. We pay for their, their, their iPhone, their smartphone, their health insurance, whatever they need, whatever they want, we pay for it are going to give up their room because they want to sleep in the streets. Believe it or not, there are migrant and asylum seekers who are saying, we want to sleep on the streets. Who? Could you point out which ones, Eric Adams? I realize you want them to remain anonymous because maybe ICE will try to deport them for even saying that. I would I would put them in Creedmoor for saying that. I want to give up my room at the Milford Plaza. $400 a night to sleep in the streets voluntarily. Could I hear that again, Broadway Billy? Believe it or not, there are migrant and asylum seekers who are saying, 
we want to sleep on the streets. <sighs> Believe it or not. <laughs> Believe it or not. Uh, no, we don't believe that crap. Believe it or not. Nope. Believe it or not. Sorry. There are migrant and asylum seekers who are saying we want to sleep on the streets. Do you think, ladies and gentlemen, there are any migrant or asylum seekers, or as I call them, illegal aliens, who voluntarily want to give up their hotel rooms that we pay for and sleep in the streets? Believe it or not. Our numbers one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Believe it or not, they're migrants. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of seventy seven WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I would tell you I met a shorty there, but I can't say that on TV. <laughs> Well, apparently, the days of Eric Adams, Swagger Man with No Plan, being the nightlife mayor, at least temporarily, have come to an end, Broadway Billy. He has not been spotted at his normal hangouts. Downtown, the Club Zero Bond, whatever happens at the Club Zero Bond, stays at the Club Zero Bond. A private club that costs you thousands of dollars to be a member of. But it gives you access, or at least did, to Eric Adams uh, behind closed doors where you could wine him, dine him, and pocket line him. He hasn't been seen there ever since the FBI raided. I am so tired. I'll bet. Well, thank God you've given up uh, going to the club and listening to the anthem of 50 Cent, a.k.a. Curtis Jackson, who culturally appropriated my name, Curtis. But there was a time if you wanted to see the mayor to make a deal. You could do it behind the closed doors of Club Zero Bond. Uh, yes, yes. You know, I walk around with swag in my pocket because I like to share it. <laughs> no more, though. He's been MIA there. I am so tired. I know. It's a uh, little wearing on all the investigations that are now taking place of you. Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Interesting that he had replaced the Club Zero Bond with a new spot that he would hang out in, uh, up in the Bronx, off Westchester Avenue in an industrial area, where almost nobody goes uh, once it's dark. The, the Club Sofrito. Jimmy Rodriguez, infamous, I might add. And a lot of people said, why the hell would you be up there? Again, out of sight, out of mind. 
such a place you could have met the mayor and get wine, wine him and dine him and pocket line. But uh, I guess he's decided not to go there either. He's got to hunker down because the feds are trailing him wherever he goes. I am so tired. I know. And this is actually a good thing. Although what you did in response to that is mind-boggling. You talked about cutting the budget in a draconian way because you're taking care of all the illegal aliens before American citizens, before our own citizens, including veterans who might be homeless, destitute, impoverished, with drug problems, alcohol problems, who might be in shelter or might be living in the streets or the subways or the parks. You forsake all of them for the illegal aliens, and now you've taken out the Ginzu knife, the Rambo knife, and you're making draconian cuts in the budget, which may well get the police department down to an extraordinarily dangerous number of officers, 29,000, when by all reason there should be as many as 40,000, all to take care of the illegal aliens. And with that all said and done, he decided to spend $130,000 and hire a nightlife mayor to take his place since he's not gallivanting, gallivanting any longer into the wee hours of the morning. Some restaurateur up in the Bronx, some Hispanic guy, has now been crowned mayor of nightlife in New York City, replacing Eric Adams. That's a good thing. I don't know why we have to pay him, because when you're the mayor of nightlife, the perk is you get to sample the product. The other thing is, is that he had a town hall meeting a few days ago at Lincoln High School in the gymnasium where Stefan Marbury of the Cary Gardens Homes uh, actually lit it up became a high school All-American, went on to Georgia Tech, played a year, then to the Knicks, then to the Nets. You know the rest of the story. Now they got a statue of him outside of some basketball stadium there in Red China, where he's considered like a god. But in the gymnasium where they have the pennants of the Lincoln High School PSAL championships and state championships, he conducted a... uh, a town hall meeting in which he was talking about helping homeless people. In fact, he talked about how he had spent last Thanksgiving helping a pregnant woman who was housed on Rikers Island. And I've been on Rikers Island more than any mayor in the history of this city. Last year at this time, I went to visit a young lady who gave birth to a child on Rikers Island. Uh, I've spent Thanksgiving with her, and so I believe it could be fair. Now, a few blocks away from that town hall meeting, you probably heard me mention it a few times, the guardian angels of Coney Island are caring for a 22-year-old, nine-month pregnant woman living in the streets. Her name, Yolanda Mendoza, an American by birth, born and raised in Florida, came to New York City, Ended up in a shelter for a while there, remained in the shelter because she was translating for the illegal aliens that were replacing our own citizens who were homeless. 
and then finally got the boot and now lives on the street a block from Nathan's famous under the scaffolding of the old Half Moon Hotel. Many of you remember it was in that infamous building that has still not been rehabbed after all these years where Abe Rellis proved that men cannot fly. He was uh, ratting out members of uh, Murder Incorporated, Lepke and Gura, when the Jews were the toughest of all the mobsters, when the Italians subcontracted their hits, their murders, to the Jews, who would bury them right there on Junior Street in the uh, Murder Incorporated burial uh, grounds underneath the L train and the number three train. And... uh, He was cooperating with the Brooklyn District Attorney. And apparently, Broadway Bill Lee, he fell out the window, or as many said, was pushed out of the window and splatted all over on the street below, proving that men could not fly in Brooklyn. Well, within uh, feet of where he fell, Yolanda Mendoza lives in the streets. At any moment, She will push out her baby, and hopefully it will be alive and well. Although imagine what it's like living in the streets, living on the sidewalk, openly for everybody to see. And then to hear that just a few blocks away, Eric Adams at that town hall meeting in Coney Island was saying how he spends his nights I drive around at night, 1 a.m. in the morning, looking for... Um, encampments, people sleeping on the street. And I send the pictures to the deputy mayor and Department of Sanitation. In January of 2022, February, March, April, it was easy for me to find the encampments. Now I have to search for them. Apparently he hasn't searched well enough. Yolanda Mendoza is right out there for all to see. A block from Nathan's famous in Coney Island, Stillwell and Surf. And then he uh, continues to brag, there's a bit of braggadocia here, about how he takes care of illegal aliens so much better than our own citizens. Deputy Mayor Ann williams Isom, 142,000 migrants and asylum seekers have entered the city. Not one child slept on the streets of the city of New York. Isn't that great, Eric Adams? Not one illegal alien child slept in the streets of New York City. But American citizens' children have. How come you treat the illegal aliens so well and you have forsaken our own citizens? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. Ready, set, let's go. Dance, go, pro. I know, you know, I go psycho when my new joint hit. 
just can't sit. Gotta get jiggy with it. That's it. Now, honey, honey, come ride. TKNY, all up in my eyes. You got a strata, bag with a lot of stuff in it. Give it to your friend, let's spin. Everybody looking at me, glancing at the kid. Wishing they was dancing a jig here with this handsome kid. Sick a cigar right from Cuba, Cuba. I just bite it. It's for the look, I don't light it. They'll wait to hand me on the hand, stay off late. Well, well, well. The nights of Eric Adams getting jiggy till the break of dawn, apparently, at least for now, are over. Broadway Billy, he has crowned a new nightlife mayor. Unfortunately, with all the draconian cuts he's making to support the illegal alien and forsake our own citizens, he's paying this jerk 130000 well, you know he's going to get freebies wherever he goes, just like the mayor was. I just don't understand that. But you know, if the mayor is able to survive all of these investigations and this uh, sexual assault lawsuit filed uh, in the remaining moments of the Adult Survivors Act, put into effect by Kathy Crimewave Holcomb a year ago to take out then uh, President Donald Trump with the E. Jean Carroll rape lawsuit, which would never have seen the light of day in criminal court, never mind civil court, but had a new life. And Eric Adams applauded that, said, yeah, go get him. And now Broadway Billy has come full circle like a boomerang to hit him right in the neck. And he has said of this woman who is... Suing him for sexual assault, he does not recall her. The city law department will represent him. It happened in 1993. This is a woman who was an administrative aide for the transit police starting in 1980. Worked in the central records division. Was a senior police administrative aide. And now we'll see who's telling the truth. Whether it's Eric Adams who said he cannot recall her, he doesn't think he ever met her, and yet she is claiming the reverse, that he actually sexually assaulted her, I believe, while she was on duty. Anyway, that is to be continued. Our number is one 800 Let's go to Louise, who's calling all the way from Cali, Cali, California. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Louise. Oh, good evening, uh, Curtis. I just appreciate you having live radio over the holidays because it's all reruns mostly. So I just want to know what you think of, uh, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. I want to know what you think that, and only a few other people have mentioned it on the news, is that Biden uh, pretty much sabotaged the trip to on his way on the plane to Washington, D.C., because he didn't really want to deal with Eric Adams complaining about the migrants. So, I mean, it's, it's so coincidental. It's just it's just very suspicious to me. Uh, uh, your colleague, uh um, Dominic Carter briefly mentioned it, and I think Bill O'Reilly might have brought it up. But um, it, it's just very coincidental that he's on the plane there, and Joe Biden doesn't want to deal with him, so he says let's just drop this little bomb on him and keep him occupied, or they just want to get rid of him and they have somebody else in mind. 
to take this place. I just want to know what you think. Well, Louise, uh, once again, thank you for congratulating our owner and operator, John Katsimatidis, uh, our parent company, Red Apple Media, because the mandate is always to have live and local radio 24-7-365, including during all the holidays. So Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, you know you have a friend of your own in WABC. I am the only person that disagrees with uh, what my other colleagues say about Eric Adams, including this caller who reflected exactly what you just said. Um, I think that uh, what's happened to Adams is uh, he's trying to be framed. He's uh, being pushed to do things that he really doesn't want to do. So, Louise, uh, all of them are talking about it including our owner and operator, John Katsimatidis, and everyone else here who broadcasts, thinking he was framed by Joe Biden. They just don't know the nitty-gritty details of this investigation like I do because I have actually been ahead of the curve and have told all of our listeners, Louise, that A, he was going to have his cell phones taken from him by the FBI, which happened and his police unit was made aware of it by the FBI because he's got a rat amongst his uh, police entourage. Also, the fact that there were 12, not one raid, but 12 separate raids by the FBI on the very day that he was in Washington briefly before he turned around. And so, Louise, this uh, investigation goes a long ways back long before he had a falling out with the president, Joe Biden. In fact, long before he was calling himself the Biden of Brooklyn. So I will stand alone on this. In defiance of all of my colleagues here at WABC who have drunk the Kool-Aid, as so many of you have, to think that he has been jacked up as a result of him just recently standing up to Joe Biden about the migrant issue. Uh, I might remind all of our listeners, no matter where you're listening from, anywhere in the world, that's the power of WABC at dusk. It can be heard anywhere in the world. It is the number one global station at night, the number one national station in the nation by day. Is that there was a recent poll that indicated that seven out of ten New Yorkers who responded feel that Eric Adams did something wrong to merit the FBI investigation. So average New Yorkers are at odds with the conclusion that Sid Rosenberg has come up with, John Katsimatidis, Rita Cosby, uh, Bill O'Reilly, others. uh, uh, In this case, uh, to a degree, but not as much, Greg Kelly, uh, definitely Michael Matichich, Rudy Giuliani, uh, James Golden. They've all drunk to Kool-Aid to think that somehow Eric Adams was being set up. I've known Eric Adams uh, close to 40 years. One thing that has been synonymous with everything that he does is he constantly, his battle cry is, show me the money. That's what it's all about, show me the money. No elected official anywhere, anytime, any place has publicly said what many of them say privately to supporters, to lobbyists, to their friends, their fellow colleagues who are crooked also with their beak in the trough. But he has boldly and brazenly said this over and over and over. Show me the money. 
Show me the money. That's what it's all about. Proving that if you want to do business with Eric Adams, you better show him the scatol, the moolah shmoolah, the dead presidents. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis
Oh, it has, without a doubt, affected the political life of Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, who has a standing code of operation, which is simply whenever he is dealing with people, he'll tell them straight up, Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. I can't play it enough. These were the very first words he uttered while up in the state legislature being sworn in before family and friends in the well of the state Senate in Albany uh, amongst his crooked colleagues who also believe the same thing. They got their beaks in the trough. Show me the money. Uh, amongst uh, members of the media, and most importantly, the moment he said that, his first words, his Show first... me the money. The lobbyists were salivating. They knew they had a client for life who was more than happy to be wine-dined and pocket-lined. Show me the money. Spoke the same language. For money, we get access we're able to get what we want done, even if it's not in the best interests of the people that you represent. Boy, that was like a home run. Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. Um, you know, I think I'm going to make a, a campaign ad out of that. Since I'm like... Pretty much the only one who plays this over and over. I, uh, my colleagues, I know Greg Kelly has played it. But my other colleagues, they seem to shy away from that. It's sort of like, why? He said it. This is his whole reason for being in politics. Show me the money. That's what Show it's... Show me the money. Let's go to Sankar, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sankar. Thank you for taking my call. I have a question for you. Is some time when they leaked the abortion thing from the Supreme Court, did did Eric Adams say if it, if it wasn't for abortion, at the age of fifteen he would be a father? Could you remember him making that statement? I'm thinking back. So you meant when Roe v. Wade was repealed? Yeah, there was a leak. And he right. said something about abortion when the people were demonstrating on the street. You remember when the woman was saying uh, uh, things about that, or well, you're not going to get away, and you play it over and over? Yeah, that one, not not in particular. Um, I don't recall that. Uh, there's many things. Did you research that? I thought I heard he said something about, about that. I will, New York City I, has been a place for people seeking freedom, autonomy, and choice. That includes the rights to choose what people do with their bodies and their lives. Uh, is that what you were referring to, Senka? Yeah, but I thought he heard he said if it wasn't for abortion at the age of 15, he would have a child. Something like that. Hmm. Something like that. Oh, so, that oh, so I, oh, I understand. So you mean his son, Jordan. Could be possible, mm. but at the age of fifteen, come on. Yeah, we don't we we don't really know a lot about his personal life. He's a bit of an enigma when it comes to that. Like people in talk radio, you know, some of yeah. us we let you know everything. Others of us, you know, nothing about. Uh, I would say with Eric Adams, he lets you know only what he wants you to know. But yeah. so many other. Wasn't he arrested because he and his brother were shopping for uh, 
like a prostitute, and he was arrested for that? Well, I'll explain it. Uh, when he was running for mayor, he would tell this story of how he had been brutalized by these two white police officers at the precinct in Jamaica. They had taken him and his brother downstairs, and they kicked him so hard that he was bleeding uh, every time uh, through his uh, urination. Uh, every time he would urinate, he would be bleeding. And he well, said, "Why that, did he was arrested?" Well, at that time, he said, and you see, you have to you have to always listen intensely to what he was saying, is that he was unfairly accused of uh, of. Uh, basically breaking into an apartment that he didn't really break into an apartment, but because he was black and his older brother was black, that they were brought into the precinct. And he ended up doing some time in Spotford, the juvenile facility in the South Bronx at that time in Hunts Point. It turned out later that it wasn't just tried to break in. Uh, he actually broke in to the apartment of a prostitute and right, stripper. Yes, yes, yes. Right, yes, that he and his yes. brother claimed then were actually buying groceries for because she had broken her leg and she wasn't yes. able to go to the club and work the strip pole. And they were using their own money and then they wanted her to reimburse them. And she said, tough noogies, I'm not reimbursing you. So they decided while she went to the club one night to perform on the pole on the dance floor that they would break into the apartment and basically take money or items equal to what they had spent on her. And that's when they were caught in that apartment. But that came out uh, based on a reporter's report. He never volunteered that. To be honest with you, I know what young men will do. They steer Johns to the prostitutes and then the prostitute will either pay them in money or pay them in sexual favors. Okay, I have another question. Yes. Many, many years ago, I have a few questions. Please, I'd like you to answer this question. Many, many years ago, when they had the Olympics in Germany, the Jewish children who went there, uh, were they murdered by the Palestine? The Palestinians. Uh, well, remember, when they had uh, the German uh, Olympics, the Summer Olympic Games, the uh, the uh, terrorists from the Palestinian Liberation Organization took the athletes hostage, right. the Israeli athletes, and yes. then eventually the terrorists were killed when they were trying to make their getaway by special forces. Uh, but which they didn't kill. They didn't kill the the, the children in them. The, the athletes in them. They no not? athletes. Yes, children. No. So some of the Israeli athletes, I don't remember the exact number, but definitely not any children that I remember of. But it was but the athletes, the pe people who went to um, to the Olympics for that purpose, the athletes and them, they yes. did murder the children. Uh, I call them children. I call right, them children. Right. No, but uh, I would say uh, young adults yes. uh, in their 20s competing. Yes. Yes. I believe yes. some were murdered by yes, the terrorists. Yes, they did. The woman make that call. There was a Muslim woman who gave them, like, uh, the okay to come in. She discovered where in the village those Jewish athletes was, and then they went in there and they killed those athletes, the Jewish. Why it is nobody don't talk about that? Well, I think because there have been so many circumstances uh, 
that had transpired. But I think uh, Broadway Billy has found that very statement made by Eric Adams that you oh, had. He did. He did. That, so I was right, right? Well, I was well, right. Well, well, I was 15. I didn't have a more and question. I just got home from being arrested. And Linda came to me and she said, Eric, I'm pregnant. And look at your life. And it was my desire automatically just to say, Linda, keep the baby. She said, Eric, you, you're arrested. You're not going to school. What future is this baby going to have? And she made the decision that was smart for both of us. She made the right call because she was empowered. She was in control. Now, uh... You see, I was right, Mr. Curtis Hill. Yes, you were. I knew I heard he said that when that they leaked that story and that woman was on the street continuously threatening men. Now, my another uh, question to you, I have another one, too, after this. That's um, see something, do something. That law that they had said, if you see something, see something, do something. These uh, Muslim people now, the Palestine who's out in the street then doing so much destruction to America here right now and all over they do it and I'm surprised that they have so many of them from Palestine here in America and they're not afraid to do anything if they do something with they see something do something law uh, or say something if the people walking on with cell phone and they gave them a little reward, saying when you see one of them like pulling down the flyers, painting the, the things on the street and the wall, they did something again to some library recently. And you give people a little reward. I think less of those Palestine people would be on the street. Ah, very interesting, Senka. Very interesting. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. This is a story of a number of people and a story also of the city itself. Nineteen fifty eight to nineteen sixty three. I remember as a kid watching the naked city. And it always finished with the tagline, there are 8 million stories in the naked city. This has been one of them. It was done in black and white, almost in a semi-documentary style. I love that program. And yet that's a program that I watched when I was a kid. I thought that I had seen most TV programs or movies that were reflective of New York City. Not all, but most. To your credit, our audience has beseeched me, cajoled me, insisted 
that I had to see a movie called The Incident, black and white movie, 1967, about two street hoodlums who terrorized 14 passengers sharing a New York City subway car. I'd never seen it. I'd always made reference to individuals who wanted to know what it was like years ago to the cult movie classic, The Warriors, which came out in 1979 on February 8th, Paramount Films about gangs in the subways. And it took on a life of its own. In fact, there are many hipsters and millennials who have seen that movie. And uh, those who are new jacks who see that movie, and it gives them an idea of what it was like in the subways of the 1970s. Well, this gives you an idea, the incident, of what the subways were like in the 50s and in the 60s. So it was Thanksgiving Day. I had just finished doing the show, the 12 noon to 1 o'clock show, with my wife Nancy, the Rip and Read. We call it the family hour during um, holiday time. Because there are a lot of people who are shut-ins, a lot of people who don't have family and friends that they have access to, and it's a really lonely occasion for some, uh, puts them in despair. Sometimes it has increased the number of suicides and people taking their life because it is almost like manic-depressive for some. Manic uh, for so many who are euphoric and then depressive for so many who just don't have those same experiences. So we had gone out and got some Thanksgiving uh, Day lunch. And then we retired to our apartment on the Upper West Side with our rescue cats that Nancy has saved from the New York City shelter system just before they were to be euthanized and executed. And we started to talk about, hey, you want to see a movie? And Nancy, uh, I gave her the option, uh, what movie you want to see? She I can't make up my mind. So I said, what about that new movie with um, Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon? You know, it's a mega, mega movie. And she went online and she says, well, it's not available online yet. It's only in the theaters. I said, okay. Why don't we check out this movie that my many listeners have recommended to me over the last few months, The Incident. In fact... I remember that many of you had said it was Martin Sheen's movie debut. So she did the research online, and it came up. And it was black and white, which I like, you know, old style. And it comes into focus, and you see these two guys. Right away, you are transfixed by this actor, Tony Masante. Incredible. I mean, he captures being a psychotic to the T. Move over, Joaquin Phoenix, as the Riddler. You're clearly psychotic in that Academy Award-winning performance. But I believe Tony Musante actually should have won an Academy Award. That's how good his performance was as Joe Ferron. Martin Sheen was the Irish kid named Artie Connors, and they were both like uh, Heckle and Jekyll. In fact, you see in the opening scenes, they're giving a hard time to a pool hall owner in the Bronx for closing early. Reminds me of my Uncle Sabine, Uncle Sammy Bianchino, 
who had a pool hall on Skillman Street in Brooklyn. And back then, I remember as a kid, nothing good happened in a pool hall. You were told, hey, only bad people go to pool halls. A lot of smoke from smoking. You'd always hear arguments. Sometimes shots were fired in a pool hall. I was always told uh, by my cousins, uh, by my nieces, by my aunts and uncles, especially my dad, the merchant seaman, you never want to go into a pool hall. It could really turn raucous. So it's interesting the opening scene was there. And then while they're in the streets of the Bronx having left the pool hall, they started to harass a passing couple, uh, a man and a woman, who then bolted across the street. And then Broadway Bill Lee, they hide in the entrance to the basement of a tenement. And they're waiting for a Vic to pass by, a potential victim. And in fact, uh, Tony Masante uh, and Martin Sheen are ready to mug a guy. But it's got to be the right guy. So finally, an old guy walks by. They drag him down the stairs into the basement area. And Martin Sheen pulls out a switchblade, which, remember, was considered, ult- I mean, the ultimate in illegal knives. You know, you weren't supposed to have a knife more than four fingers back then because you go right to jail. J-A-I-L. If it was more than four fingers, right to jail. But a switchblade, oh, my God. You might as well have had a gun. So they take the switchblade to the guy. They take $8 from him, take anything he has on him, and then they beat him into unconsciousness. You see Martin Sheen just beat the guy unmercifully, and they walk away, and they walk into the night in the Bronx. But then so masterfully done by the filmmaker, and by the way, the filmmaker was not permitted to film on the subways by the MTA, the money-taking agency. Oh, no, 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 no. They had to do it in a very unique way. They had to go onto the subway and hide hide the camera in a box so that they could give you some footage from inside the subway car, outside. And in fact, a lot of the outdoor scenes of the train were filmed on and around the Bronx section of the demolished 3rd Avenue line. Really good stuff. Really good stuff. And then eventually... In order to get the um, actual subway car itself, they got a studio mock-up of an IRT World's Fair car. The producers had contacted the St. Louis Car Company for original blueprints of the car and reproduced it to the specs required. It was amazingly done. And they would go to each station on the number four train, leaving Woodlawn. The last stop, Little Dublin, and then going south. So Broadway, Bill Lee, when they reach uh, Machula Parkway, it's 2 a.m. in the morning Sunday. And who's down in the street arguing with his wife while holding their four-year-old daughter? Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon, who used to be a barker on the... Uh, on the uh, a boardwalk of Atlantic City. That's how he uh, made his bones initially and then became best known as the sidekick of Johnny Carson. But I want to tell you, he was magnificent in his part. So he's got the four-year-old daughter in his hands there on the street. 
And the wife wants them to grab a cab because it's 2 o'clock in the morning. They live in Flushing. So Ed McMahon complains to his wife that she's a spendthrift. And eventually they take the subway and they enter the last car in the train that only has one working door. And you walk in and ironically, Nancy said, it's just like the subways now. There's a guy, a bum, laying down right there in the seat. Check out Ed McMahon. Why couldn't you make a move to leave there earlier? Honey, you know how Mother is. She wanted to have this birthday party for Susie, and I she's know. all alone now, Bill. I know, but it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and she's 4 years old. We won't get home till 3.30. I'm going to get up at 7, so I start the week with a big, fat three and a half hours sleep. You know, it may not mean anything to you, but I happen to be a working man. Oh, well, look, why don't we take a cab then? Taxi? A cab? All the way to Flushing? Who do you think's going to pay for it? Well, it won't hurt us one night, Bill. One night? That's how it starts. Then it'll be another night and another night. Well, that's not in the budget, Helen. <laughs> you should have married a millionaire. I can't. Well, look, you want me to pay for it? Oh, sure. Then at the end of the month, when you run out of money, who do you think's going to pay for it then? Go ahead, Captain. Go ahead. Bill, please. Helen, you killed me. I'm telling you, I can't. Sounds a little bit like Ralph Cramden from The Honeymooners and his wife, Alice. A little bit. I don't know if that's how they devised that portrayal. But I got to tell you, in the rest of the movie, from time to time, when they go to Ed McMahon and his wife, they were magnificent. And there is a scene towards the end where Tony Musante, psycho boy, goes up and starts messing with the four-year-old child who's sleeping in the arms of Ed McMahon as he and his wife are sitting in that car. It is, I mean, it is riveting. It is riveting. And now the next stop along the way is Bedford Park, right near Lehman College. And you see a prototype of a young uh, lady at that time, blonde hair, you know, uh, bleach blonde hair, we'll call it the peroxide queen, wearing a sweater, probably just uh, having graduated high school fit the profile of a teenage virgin at the time, right? It's Alice Keenan, and then the, um, what can we call him? The uh, uh, Romeo, right? The guy who thinks that every woman should be in love with him, young man named Tony Goya. Now, Tony Goya, I'm assuming, was Puerto Riqueño, right? She's the ultimate white young lady, right? Peroxide, white hair, you know, uh, sort of uh, light eyes, light complexion. And uh, Tony Goya was sort of a bit swarthy. Man, they were hitting every freaking stereotype in this movie, The Incident. And he's coming on to her like guys would come on to good girls, as they would say. Good girls who would not exceed... To the wishes of guys. You got a lot of girlfriends. So? Sure, they all like you. Why not? There's nothing wrong with me. I take good care of it. What's that supposed to mean? It means I make them happy. I'm a firm believer in happiness. Some people are afraid to be happy. You know that? Some people are actually afraid to be happy. You know what happens to people like that? What? They stay home. 
Tony, if you don't want to take me home, I can get home by myself. Who said anything about not taking you home? I'll take you home. Oh, classic. Classic. Now, this is just at the start of the movie. You watch the incident and you see these characters and you're like, you ain't going even to the bathroom. You ain't even taking a popcorn break. This fits every stereotype at that moment. Later on, it gets even deeper. The kind of characters you couldn't even show in a movie now without being called politically incorrect. I got to thank all of you out there for recommending this movie that I had never seen, I had never heard about. I was being completely honest. And yet it's all about the subways, which obviously I've made a life over since I was riding subways at the age of five by myself. Last stop, Rockaway Parkway, back then the LL train, lousy line. 1959. I was riding the trains myself. You could do it back then. Never heard of this movie made in 1967. When we come back, the continuation of that number four train. In what I am ready to dub the greatest movie that I have ever seen in my lifetime. Greater than The Raging Bull. Also about Jake LaMotta from the Bronx. By the way, who was a Jew. Yeah, he was Italian, but a Jew because his mother was a Jew. You're born from a mother who is a Jew. That makes you a Jew. 1-800-848-9222. It's another side of midnight. 77 WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. There are 8 million stories in the naked city. This has been one of them. Classic from the Naked City, made just about within the same time period as this great movie, The Incident. And again, I want to thank so many people who uh, cajoled me, uh, just told me, you got to see this movie. Right now, I'm ready to declare it to be the greatest movie of all time. If you haven't seen it, ladies and gentlemen, or if you saw it a long time ago, you really got to see it again. And then the scene stealers. As they get on at, uh, actually, they got on on Kingsbridge Road, elderly Jewish couple, Bertha and Sam Beckerman. Great performance by Jack Guilford as Sam and Thelma Ritter as Bertha. I want to sort of play some of the dialogue back and forth between this uh, Jewish husband and wife. Bum, that's all a rotten bum. Don't tell me no. Nobody can tell you anything. Yeah. Well, what did I ask him for? A million? I asked oh. him for a lousy 500 bucks just to get my teeth fixed so I can eat like a human being. I ain't entitled to that? You mean to tell me he can't afford it? I don't know can he afford it. He's got his own problems. What problems? He's got a good job, ain't he? He's got a nice apartment. He's got a nice wife. He's got nice kids. He's young. What problems for crying out loud? He drops more than that at the track in a month, for God's sake. You say. better save your breath for them steps. You're going to need it. <laughs> I can hop. He wants a babysitter. Let him hire. No more free service. Oh, yeah? I work for my grandchildren.
children for free. I don't belong to no union. He wants to use the children as a weapon over us. Let him. I'm finished. You watch your blood pressure. And besides, you're not being fair. I'm not being fair. Oh, great. Is he talking? He's talking about his son. His son wouldn't lend him five hundred dollars to get his 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 teeth fixed, his choppers, and he's going on and on. And then he gets very bitter again. What I say? Of course, the old helped the young. Did I say no? But then after. The young must help the old. Must. That's if right. they don't, who will? I don't know. But today, these kids, I should live so long. Oh, there they are arguing about young people. And then let's give it one last whirl. That would be 90. Tell me when he was a kid, I didn't give him to eat from my own mouth. I didn't do that. How many times have you told me? I didn't take the clothes from my back and put it on him. I didn't see to it that he got an education. What am I, someone from off the streets? God's sake. I'm counting. Wow, classic argument, husband and wife. Two two old Jewish uh, folks. I always liked, extraordinarily, I always liked the roles. They actually both play Jack Hilford and Thelma Ritter. I think Jack Ilfer was mentored by Milton Berle, had gone to um, acting uh, class with Jackie Gleason, came out of that whole era, did a bit about split pea soup that would make you laugh. You know, you went to Dubrow's. I go to Dubrow's in Brownsville, Picking Avenue, all the old Jews, the socialists there. And what would they order there? Split pea soup with a nice piece of bread. And that was the meal. It would stick to your ribs. They'd look at me like, what the hell is this Gentile kid doing here, right? And have a bowl of hot split pea soup with a piece of bread. And the, and the guy would say to me, kid, this is a meal that sticks to your ribs. Great. Wait, but it got better. Because, hey, remember, that's Kingsbridge Road going south on the number four train. Then at Fordham Road, there are two uh, guys in the United States Army. They're wearing their uniform. They had come from one of the guy's uh, homes, an Italian household. The guy was Phil Carmati. And he had his friend uh, who was from Oklahoma who remind me of the Jack Armstrong character. You know, he was, looked like Mickey Mantle. It was absolutely incredible because he, he sort of fit that that stereotype of the guy, you know, from the heartland, the Middle West. Uh, that was Bo, Bo Bridges. It was great. So listen listen to their dialogue as they're waking, waiting for this crazy train with the two nut jobs that eventually entraps them and a total of 14 passengers on this one car. Listen to what they were saying to one another high above Fordham Road on the L of the number four train. I'll tell you one thing I, I never did have, though, is that, uh, before is that, uh, lasagna? Lasagna. 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 Yeah, it was good stuff. Yeah. You sure got a nice family, Phil. Ah, thanks, Felix. I'm glad you like them. 
Yeah, like your daddy, too. He's a nice warm man. Yeah, he's a character, isn't he? Oh, good. Uh, were you able to understand him? Oh, I understood him all right. The question is, he understands me. Well, I think they were a little shocked when they saw that arm of yours. Yeah, I know they were. They sure worry about you quite a bit, don't they? Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're always worrying about me. <laughs> you don't have any folks, do you, Felix? No. No, they, uh, they died not small. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Yeah. I, just, I really don't even remember too much about them. What are you going to do when, uh, when you get out of the Army? Oh, I don't know, uh... Oh, I guess uh, work on a farm, maybe, a uh, phone station. Mm -hmm. I don't know, heck, I ain't got no special plans. How about you? Uh, I can hardly wait to get out. I'm going to go back to school, and then I'm going to go to law school. And then 50000 a year, maybe 100000 a year. Oh, come on, maybe you more. sound like kind of ambitious here, Rachel. Oh, wow. That was classic back then. <laughs> you notice the the son of the Italian family, uh, the service guy, was a real mama Luke. He was like Frank Morano, a mama's boy. He had introduced uh, Felix, the guy from Oklahoma, to lasagna. But I'm telling you, the character played by Bo Bridges reminded me of Jack Armstrong. Remember how he was the General Mills poster boy, Jack Armstrong, the All-American boy on radio, promoted Wheaties? You know, you ate Wheaties, you were going to be like the All-American. And then remember, this is like, it's like central casting. You couldn't get better than this. And then all of a sudden the train pulls into the next station off of Fordham which many of you know is Burnside Avenue. And at Burnside Avenue, who do they run into? Well, it's a school teacher and his wife who had just come from a cocktail party. And boy, she was pissed. She was pissed. It was Muriel teeing off on her husband, who is like this nebbishy, schlubby, um, what can I call? Mm, nebbishy, schlubby, henpecked, a henpecked husband. Do you know how much money Jerry makes a year? Uh, Do you? No, I don't, and I, I'm not really interested. He makes $18,500 a year. Good. Let's give him an A-plus, shall we? Notice the clothes those women wore? Look, Muriel, if I had known that you were going to carry on in this fashion, I never would have gone to that party. Why not, honey? They're our old friends. We haven't seen them in years. I'm not afraid. I just might open my eyes and see what the rest of the world's been doing while you've Look, been sitting... Muriel, for the 99th time, I'm no hero. I'll... I'm not a big moneymaker. <laughs> you can say that again. I never will be. What, are you proud of it? I'm just saying. I'll never make history. I'll just teach it. 
I'm I'm a school teacher. That's got a little place in this world that's good enough for me. Now you've had 15 years to get used to that idea. If you could just just accept that, Muriel, I think I think I could be a happy man. I think you could be a happy woman. Let's not have any speeches. I've heard that all before. You're not kidding us the 99th time. What else can I do? Someday I'll draw you a diagram. Wow. That's right on the platform of Burnside Avenue on the number four train, the L. I mean, she was complaining to her husband, who was a school teacher, that, hey, your friend makes $18,000 a year. That's back in 1967. You know what the equivalent is now, Broadway Billy? I did a little research. $165,000 a year. So she was really sticking it to him. I mean, really sticking it to him. Then they keep moving on down the line. Oh, it was great. They roll up, and it's uh, Mount Eden Avenue. And now it's a black couple. Two great actors. It's Brock Peters, the husband, and Ruby Dee, the wife. And apparently they had just come from a meeting, civil rights meeting, where Ruby D was trying to introduce her husband, Brock Peters, to the civil rights movement of Martin Luther King Jr., past peaceful, passive, nonviolent resistance. And Brock Peters seemed to be more of a militant, you know, closer to Malcolm X than he was to Martin Luther King Jr. Listen to their dialogue back and forth at the Mount Eden train station of the number four train. The old help the young. Did I say no? But then after. Now, don't you know the difference between a Jewish couple and uh, a black couple? Man, what is wrong with you, uh, Broadway Billy? Turn in your blackness. But being your wife does not change the fact that there is a right way to do things and there no, is a wrong go way. Go lecture them home relief bums you take care of. Don't try whitey stupid social work on me. There is nothing stupid about social work. Yeah, I know all about it. You and Whitey sitting down together, sipping tea, talking about, what are we going to do about them poor colored folk up there? Man, if that ain't a crock. And I ain't nonviolent either, so don't try dragging me to another one of them damn discussions like tonight. You had only had the courtesy to wait until he was finished. And then if you had any questions, Wait. That's all he talked about. Wait. Just wait, brothers and sisters. The next hundred years is going to be a whole lot easier for us colored folk. All we've got to do is sit and wait. Wait on the Lord and shout hallelujah. Now, Arnold, you know he didn't say anything like that. But what he did say makes a whole lot more sense than that stuff you pulled down there in that change booth. I ain't letting no white man walk on me. Prove that, all right. And I ain't letting them walk on me. And that's why they hate my guts, and I hate them right back, all of them. In the Army, we used to sing praise the Lord and pass the ammunition, and that's what we ought to be singing now. Not them hymns. <laughs> we ought to hit them first and hit them hard and, and re-educate them later. <laughs> no, 
not us, them. Arnold, Arnold. So she's wailing away. And then Brock Peters, who's Arnold Robinson in the film, The Incident, that I, I declare is the greatest film that I've ever seen in my life. And Ruby D, his wife, she realizes he's like ready to set it off. And he gets into an argument with this older white guy who's the token clerk in the booth at Mount Eaton Avenue. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, too. So how about coming out here and picking it up? Ah, oh, come on, will you, fella? You heard me. I said come out here and pick it up. Look, I said I was sorry. Well, I'm not picking it up. All right, so don't pick it up. Listen, you come out here and pick it up or you give me my money back. Joan, don't pick it up. Arnold, please. I said, don't touch it. Darling, it is not all that important. Well, it's important to me. You know you're looking for trouble, and one of these days you're going to get it. Don't. You step out of that booth, and I'll knock that grin off your face. Yeah, 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 yeah. You stinking garbage. You got some nerve, buster. You damn right I got some nerve. If I ever see you again, I'll bust you wide open. Yeah, sure. Sure. Garbage. Garbage. Notice no cops. There were no cops in the subway set. None. So, man, this, this guy, this black guy, right, you, you figure anybody sets him off, he's going to get into a fight. So, I mean... Every one of these stations, a different couple is getting in or different personalities. Then the train continues south, the number four train on the L, towards Yankee Stadium, 161st, and stops at 176th. Downstairs, it was a gin mill, a dive, a bar. And there's a character named Kenneth Otis who's sitting at the bar, and clearly he's, like, gay, without being uh, outlandish. He's gay. And he's, like, lost in that bar. And then another guy comes in. He's out of work, a recovering alcoholic named Douglas. He's the great character actor, Gary Merrill. Gary Merrill is, like, shaking. He just wants a drink. And he goes into the bathroom. And then in the bathroom is the gay guy, Kenneth Otis, who clearly was, like, sick from drinking, he had been in the toilet, throwing up, he's washing up. And once he cleans himself up, he's sort of like trying to hit on Gary Merrill. And Gary Merrill is just like brushing him off. And then they both separately go up the stairs to the 176 train station. And the out-of-work recovering alcoholic Douglas makes a call on the payphone, and he's talking about how he has a job interview in the morning. I guess it was his wife or whatever, saying, you got to be together, you know. He goes, I will. I'm sober, blah, 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 blah. And who shows up again? The gay guy, Kenneth Otis, and he shoes him away. Like, get out of here. And they both get on the platform, and they're ready to get on the train. And they get on the train. And then on 170th Street, again, next stop, Yankee Stadium, 161st. The two white guy crazies get on the train. Remember what I was referring to you? 
probably one of the greatest acting performances I've ever seen in my life, especially of a crazy guy, Tony Musante as Joe Ferron, and Martin Sheen in his first movie act as Artie Connors. And they get on the train at 170th Street. There's 14 passengers. And uh, you see how they're all terrorized by these two guys for the next 15 stations. And the first one that these two guys, this Heckle and Jekyll, focus on, are the guy they refer to as the derelict, the bum, who's laid out on the seat, just like it is now when you get on the train. The actor, he didn't have one line in the whole film, but he played a great bum, a great derelict, Henry Prooch. So naturally, these two characters want to give him a hot foot and listen to how crazed and maniacal Tony Masante is with his crazed partner, Martin Sheen, on this subway car where only one door opens. And they're on their way down to Grand Central Station 15 stations later. They terrorize everybody on that car. Everybody on that car gets terrorized. Nobody escapes their insanity, their wrath. And then finally, finally, the guy from Oklahoma who looks like uh, Mickey Mantle, the Jack Armstrong uh, guy in the Army, stands up and directly challenges... Joe Ferrone, a.k.a. Tony Masante, and says, stop or I'll put you down. That's the first time you see major resistance. And then Tony Masante pulls out what, of course, the switchblade and begins to attack Felix, the army guy from Oklahoma, stabs him, and yet... At that point, Felix has had enough. The rage just consumes him. He knocks him down and then beats him to a pulp, just beats him to a pulp. And he's bleeding out. The train pulls in a Grand Central. The only door that's functioning in that one train car opens up. Two cops uh, run in, you know, two uniformed cops. And you'll love this Broadway, Billy. Without anybody saying anything, who do you think they jacked up in that train? The black guy, Brock Peters, who, who like everyone else, was docile. Right away, they grabbed the black guy, and then one of the other passengers said, no, it's not him. It's him, <laughs> the guy who's knocked out on the floor. 
And, uh... <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, too. So how about coming out here and picking it up? Ah, oh, come on, will you, fella? You heard me. I said come out here and pick it up. Look, I said I was sorry. Well, I'm not picking it up. All right, so don't pick it up. Listen, you come out here and pick it up, or you give me my money back. Joan, don't pick it up. Oh, no, please. I said don't touch it. Darling, it is not all that important. Well, it's important to me. You know you're looking for trouble, and one of these days you're going to get it. Joan! And so the cops come running in with their billy clubs out, their nightsticks, and they jack up Brock Peters up against the wall. And his wife, Ruby D said, no, no, no. And one of the other passengers, I forget who it was, said, no, no, he, he didn't do it. Meantime, Tony Masante, a.k.a. Jack Farone, is dead on the ground, or at least beaten to a pulp by the hero who's the Okie from Finocchi, Oklahoma, who is Bo Bridges, who has survived the stabbing. His Italian uh, friend, the service guy, never came to his aid, was feckless and weak, a real mamaluke. And then uh, the cops are dragging off, obviously, Martin Sheen, Artie Connors. What a great movie. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if you've seen it before, you got to see it again, especially in lieu of what's happening once again on the subways. I can't believe that in 69 years, soon I'll be 70. I never once heard about this movie. You would have thought people would have been recommending it to me when I first started The Guardian Angels on February 13th of 1979, especially since the train platform we started on was the Fordham Road Station on the number four train. You would have thought somebody would have said, oh, it's just like the incident. And it's only until recent times on this very time slot, the best of the other side of midnight, the callers have said to me, Broadway Billy, have you ever seen the movie The Incident? And the way they would always refer it to me was, oh, Martin Sheen's first movie debut. I thank you measurably. I, I, I just can't thank you enough, those of you who, those of you who recommended it. As far as I am concerned, and I'm not a big movie goer, but I've seen some of those movies like Gone with the Wind and obviously uh, with uh, Jake LaMotta, Raging Bull, uh, On the Waterfront with uh, Marlon Brando, considered the greatest movies ever made. Without a doubt, in my mind, The Incident, the greatest film I've ever seen. I hung on every word, the emotions, the energy, out of central casting, characters talking, then the way they really spoke, but they wouldn't be permitted to say those same things now because it would be considered so politically incorrect. Racist, homophobic, sexist, xenophobic, you name it. Raw, gritty, real, black and white, and the way they filmed it, just absolutely sensational. A definite recommendation from yours truly, Curtis Lever. If you haven't seen it before or you have seen it before, watch it again. See it for the first time. Tell me if I'm wrong. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC.
Oofa. It's another side of midnight. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC, here's Curtis Lewa. This is a story of a number of people, and a story also of the city itself. What a great movie, The Incident. I don't I, I it took took me forever. I might never have seen that movie. I might have gone to the hereafter without ever seeing that movie. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I can imagine that. All the times that people wanted to whack me, tried to whack me. Like my wife has said, Curtis, you're like a cat with nine lives and you used eight of them. You only got one more left. Let's go to Frank, who's calling all the way from California. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Frankie. Uh, listen, Curtis, I listen to you as often as I can. But meanwhile, the story regarding your being shot is on the Internet, but they don't give real details. Uh, do you have time now, or do you could recommend one of your episodes that has a story? Yes, in fact, um, it's always best third person. There was a guy here. You know who Frank Morano is, the Mamaluke who does the uh, the the <laughs> yeah, other side of midnight. Yeah, I, I, I see him every now and then. Yeah, right, right. He has actually he was in the court four times uh, when John Gotti Jr. was tried for the kidnap and the attempted killing of me in the back of that. Um, that taxi cab on June 19th in 1992, four times. And basically uh, the defense by his attorneys was the statute of limitation. They said, well, you know, you're going to hear the testimony of Curtis Sliwa, which means he's alive and well. Uh, if he had been killed, uh, then uh, John Gotti Jr. would have gone away triple life without parole. So they were able to win it on a technicality. But it was uh, the Mameluke, uh, Frank Morano, who has always sided with my enemies, the Gattis and the Gambinos, who uh, sat throughout that trial. And I got to let you know, Frank, he first was very neutral. He was like Switzerland. He sat right in the middle. He didn't sit behind the U.S. attorneys, who obviously were the prosecutors, he didn't sit behind the defense attorneys representing John Gotti Jr. He sat right in the middle, and then slowly but surely he was lured over to the demonic side by a woman named Angel, who is the oldest daughter of John Gotti Sr. and Victoria Gotti uh, Sr., her mother. And she huh. she was like a Venus flytrap. She would come in bathed in perfume every day. I could smell it when I was giving testimony up in the witness stand. And you should have seen Frank. His eyes were all gaga goo goo, goo goo gaga. And she was whispering in his ear during the testimony, Frank, you Italian stallion, I can't wait to get my hands on you outside of court. He had never had attention like this before, Frank, never, ever. You know, he was a he was a real, like, Pischer, a Schmendrick. Uh, no woman ever wanted to be with him. And now, Angel Gotti was all over him. And then the other daughter, Victoria Gotti Jr., would come over to him and say, Oh, my sister Angel is enamored with you, Frank. 
you know, I could see possibly an engagement, maybe a marriage down the way. They used technology on him. He couldn't control his testosterone. I mean, it was pulsating to his cranium. And then he started sitting on their side, and he would come on the morning radio show <laughs> and actually side with the Gottis and the Gambinos. Side with the Gottis and Gambinos. And Frank Angel left him high and dry. High and dry. She never gave him a shot of leg. He sold me out, that traitor, for Angel Gotti, for what he thought was her love, her devotion, her nuptials, the future wedding date that he would have with Angel Gotti. Could you believe that, Frank? Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. What a sellout. What a traitor. No woman had ever paid attention in his entire life to this fuddy-duddy Frank Morano, who's like George Costanza of uh, Seinfeld. And then all of a sudden, the perfume, oh, the power of the aroma of the perfume was such. And the words of Victoria Gotti Jr., her sister, who whispered in his ear that I think my sister Angel really goes for you, Frank. I could easily see after this trial... Possible engagement, I'll recommend it. You know, my father is no longer here, but I'll recommend it to my mother, Victoria Gotti Sr. I can see you'll be betrothed. You'll join the family. And he went for it, hook, line, and sinker, Frank. He sold me out. Okay, so how can a guy shoot five times and not hit you? Oh, no, he did. He shot me five times with hollow point uh, bullets, uh, Michael Iannotti, who was the hitman for little Nick Nick Carrazzo and Jojo Carrazzo, who ran the Gambino crime family in Canarsie, where I was from. I battled them for years. They eventually got the contract from John Gotti Sr. to John Gotti Jr. to whack me. And they said to John Gotti Jr., since John Gotti Sr. was in jail, they said, we'll do it. With pleasure. We won't even require any compensation because we hate, we loathe, we despise Sliwa. And they got their machine gun Kelly. This guy, Michael Leonardi, had always used the machine gun. And they said, this time you got to use a handgun. Michael, don't shoot him in the head. First thing in the back of that camp. If you try to shoot him in the head, he'll survive. Hey, don't tell me what to do. I'm a hitman. I'll shoot him right between the eyes. Luckily, he didn't listen to little Nick Nick Carrazzo or his brother Jojo Carrazzo. He tried to shoot me in the head. And whether it was luck or skill or God himself, he missed that first shot. And I was eventually able to survive. There are eight million stories in the Naked City. This has been one of them. Check this out on the week.
weekend. Infa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. As we go from what I have now dubbed the greatest movie that I ever have seen in my lifetime, the incident about the subways in the Bronx, the number four train, 1967. Tony Musante, who I think went on to play, oh, let me see, it was Beretta. No, no, Beretta came after Toma. Tony Masante played Toma for a year on television. And even though the show is a hit about the Newark detective, said I would only do it for a year and then moved on. They had to fill that slot. And so they basically took the concept of Toma, played by Tony Masante, and then turned it into Beretta. Putting the cop out in San Francisco, you remember, with the parrot... And the rest is history until he then shot his wife. And then that went to try. You know, uh, you know the gore of all of that, right? But imagine this great actor, Tony Masante, said, I'll only do it for a year. Even though the TV show Toma was a success. Most actors or actresses would have loved having a continuation. He said, no, I agreed to do it for one year. I want to move on. Amazing. Uh, so this is the theme song for the cult classic Warriors movie about the subways and the gang problems in the 70s. So now you have two great movies you can watch. One about the 60s and 50s, The Incident, and one about the 70s, The Warriors. But now, speaking of uh, subways, the biggest story has been the fair evasion. Reported by the MTA, money-taking agency, 40% of people taking the subway, excuse me, the city buses, do not pay their fare. Ralph Cramden, if he were driving that city bus today, 40% of the riders would not be paying the fare. They just refuse to pay the fare. And the bus drivers have a few, if any, choices because years ago they kept a stick behind them up near the chair that they were driving from. You didn't pay the fare and you tried to go into the back of the bus, they followed you with that big stick. 
I mean, it was like they were like Buford Pusher and Walking Tall. They'd hit you so hard with that two-by-four, your mother would feel the vibrations. Or if you were messing around in the back, you better run to that rear door exit and get out before that bus driver took that stick and came running back and gave you a whooping. Oh, that all changed. They've been emasculated. They've been neutered. They have been uh, basically rendered into a gelding, like a thoroughbred horse that has had its three-piece set removed or a capon, uh, which is a castrated rooster. Truly, the bus drivers are not permitted to do anything any longer. And as a result, the weakness uh, that is projected has just fed the criminal element to say, well, what you going to do? I ain't going to pay my fare. They'll actually taunt the bus driver. 40% of those who take a city bus, especially along Highland Boulevard in Staten Island that has the highest percentage, along with the bus routes in the Bronx, do not pay their fare. 15% do not pay the subway fare as they have turned the subway system into the Irish sweepstakes. They go under the turnstile, over the turnstile, through the emergency gate, and they basically flick the finger off to the token booth clerk, who, if you remember, Broadway Billy, token booth clerks were supposed to become the station agents. They weren't supposed to be hiding in the booth any longer. They were supposed to be coming out and talking to the customers, helping you with the machines that never seemed to work right, especially for the tourists. I have not seen that. They're still hiding in the booth. Liar, liar, pants on fire. But now the Port Authority train which you would think that Noam Layden, our news director, would take since he lives in the Heights in Jersey City. And it is so convenient because there are two links. If you happen to be in the city, you could be in Wall Street, then take the Port Authority train near the old World Trade Center site, first stop exchange place, which is the little Wall Street that... uh Brent Shundler, the mayor of Jersey City at that time, first Republican ever elected, and probably there'll never be a Republican elected again. He picked a pocket of Rudy Giuliani, who was focused on rebuilding the city by by getting the cops to do their jobs, wasn't paying attention on the economy, and Brett Shundler was scheduling luncheons and dinners with a Fortune 500 stockholders and uh, uh, the various uh, corporate entities on Wall Street, and he was saying to them, hey, I tell you what, come on over to Exchange Place. We've got tax credits. We don't want you to move lock, stock, and barrel from Wall Street, but set up a mini operation on the Jersey side in what we call our mini Wall Street on Exchange Place. And there was a stop right there of the Port Authority, the path train. In fact, one stop later, you're right on Wall Street. You're right there. Oh, man, by the time Rudy woke up, got the smelling uh, salts, he went to war against Brett Shuntley, his fellow Republican. You're stealing our business. You're stealing our business. Brilliant move by Brent Shuntley. And now they have a mini Wall Street there. So when you take the Port Authority, you could take it from the Wall World Trade Center all the way to Newark or Journal Square in Jersey City or Grove Street or Exchange Place which is really where uh, Noam Laden should take uh, the PATH train or the Hoboken uh, station. Or you could catch it at 33rd Street, Herald Square, in the shadow of Macy's. And then it goes uh, through uh, Lower Manhattan, uh, past Christopher Street. There's a station there. And then you're through the tubes and you're on your way. 
Could be uh, Hoboken, could be Jersey City, Journal Square, could be Newark or Harrison. You know where Harrison is, Broadway Billy? You're leaving Newark on the PATH train. First stop on your way towards the city is Harrison, which is right where Kearney meets Newark. Not many people get on the train there in Harrison, but there's a lot of fare jumping. And you see, our own Gnome Laden had no idea that this existed. I had to uh, give him an attitudinal readjustment and say, hey, pal, you mean I got to tell you what's going on in your area of Jersey? You have absolutely no idea what's going on there. That's why you got to listen to uh, Curtis Lee with all my shows. I can educate you into what's happening in your community. The PATH system has now deployed a robotic warning in an effort to deter fair beaters. But the measure locks some riders out, forcing them to hop the turnstiles. The Port Authority, which runs PATH, is cracking down on a long-standing flaw in its accessible turnstiles, which allow people who touched the fair gate to open it without paying. Now, whenever a would-be fair evader gets close to more than 20 gates, In New York and New Jersey, without paying, a robotic voice on the turnstile shouts, pay first. If you try entering a second time, the mechanical voice barks, violation, you didn't pay. A strip of red lights appear on the turnstile, but it can take minutes for the lights to go off and the the turnstile to actually reset. Meanwhile, riders are locked out of the gate. The Port Authority confirmed some riders get so frustrated they just jumped the gate. One of the challenges is the age of technological equipment, so says the Port Authority's assistant director. Garbage, nonsense, garbage. But the problem of fare evasion is great on our side of the Hudson, and it's great on the Port Authority path train side of the Hudson in New Jersey. I am going to offer a possible remedy. A while back when Keyshawn Sewell was still the police commissioner of the city of New York, uh, she was doing these PSA announcements on the, on the subway as if somehow her voice could scare away potential criminals from committing crime. Justice and fairness go hand in hand. Public service has to work together on behalf of all of the people we serve. We are seeing tragedies every day on the streets of this city we love and serve. People are suffering and more and more are unnecessarily becoming victims. That's not a warning. Where the hell did you get that from, Broadway Billy? Man, you didn't bring your A-game to the 5 o'clock hour. I guess you haven't played anything from Keyshawn Sewell, the former police commissioner of Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan in a month of Sundays. She's now in charge of security for City Field. Yeah, for Steve Cohen. Uh, boy, she got a title, but nowhere near the responsibility the, she had as police commissioner of the NYPD, although, to be honest with you, she wasn't permitted to do anything. Phil Banks, uh, the unindicted co-conspirator who should have gone to jail for police corruption when the police department was selling permits uh, for uh, carry permits. Uh, he decided to become a confidential informant 
provide information on other cops and avoid uh, going to jail himself. But as a result, was chosen by Eric Adams to become his uh, deputy mayor of public safety, a position that had not been filled since uh, uh, Eric Adams' mentor, David Dinkins, chose a guy named Judge Mullen, uh, Mullen, 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 to be the deputy mayor of public safety, a, a useless position, totally useless position. And basically, Phil Banks would not allow Keyshawn Sewell to do anything, would not allow her to make appointments, transfers, adjudicate justice internally in the department without him giving the okay. She was basically a puppet of Phil Banks, and she finally had had it. Enough is enough. And she left being police commissioner. Now you have out-of-town Eddie Caban. Ever since he's been uh, sworn in as the police commissioner, first Latino in the city of New York to be a police commissioner, he was away during that uh, threat of terrorism in uh, Qatar. And then uh, recently was out in Somos in Puerto Rico where the lobbyists wine, dine, and pocket line the Democratic elected officials. It's corruption central. central. He was there for like a week. He's almost never here in New York City the police commissioner of the city of New York. But fair evasion is at its criminal critical mass. So I am suggesting that we uh, impose upon the riding public of the PATH train, especially coming out of Jersey City, City Hall, Grove Street, where Jim McGreedy, that's right, not McGreevy, McGreedy wants to be able to have an office and become the next... Uh, the next mayor of the city of Jersey City, once Steve Fulop uh, goes on to try to become governor over my dead body with his resume saying, well, I'm a graduate of Goldmine Sachs. I should become governor just like John Corzine before me, just like half in the bag, Murphy uh, before me, because they are graduates of Goldmine Sachs over my dead body. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's one 800 848 WABC. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Heading as I am to establishing a new uh, record of uh, hours of a broadcast week. By the time I finish with the animal welfare hour from uh, 10 to 11 on Sunday night with Nancy, I will have done 32 hours. Double the number of John Katsimatidis, who was uh, doubling his numbers. As uh, there is now a race on to determine uh, the acronym for WABC. Is it always broadcasting Curtis or always broadcasting Katsimatidis? W-A-B-C-L-E-W-A. Thank you. Uh, catch me if you can, John Katsimatidis. He's the only one close, and there is a cabal... Underway, led by that Mameluke Frank Morano, who hates it every time I say, oh, is he taking another day off? Is he shooting craps at the boy God? Doesn't he want to actually work now that he has a nationally syndicated show across the nation? 
He has to be badgered into doing that. God forbid he have to actually do five days a week for months and months on end. I want to spit upon you. I doubly denounce you. Yeah, well, that's what he does when he's shooting craps at the Borgata, right? So the point being is, is that, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Animal Welfare Hour now will be syndicated across the nation. That's right. Because of the interest that all of you have expressed into in the uh, hour, all the news and information and talk that my wife has brought to the microphone, uh, John Katzmatidis and... Uh, Chad Lopez, president of Red Apple Operations, will be syndicating it across the nation. And uh, we will be talking about that in less than 24 hours when Nancy joins me in our continued holiday extravaganza as we reach out to all of our friends at WABC, some of whom don't have family and friends that they can either go visit or who can visit them at a time where everyone's euphoric about the holiday Thanksgiving but there are some who are down in the deep bowels of a depression. And we really provide the service to them. So Nancy will be picking the music and picking the topics for the first two hours, 12 midnight to 2. And uh, that'll add some uh, estrogen to the massive amount of testosterone that is spewed on the 50,000 powerful watts of sound. Speaking of estrogen versus testosterone... Originally, PSAs were being made by then-the-police commissioner, Keyshawn Sewell. We have increased officers on trains and platforms so that you can ride safely. That is weak. That ain't going to scare nobody into paying their fare. Now, I am offering my audio, not just to the board of directors of the MTA, hopelessly corrupt, the money-taking agency, but also to the equally corrupt Port Authority, which is a combination of corruptness from the New York State side and the New Jersey side. It's cronies and sycophants, toadies and lackeys appointed by both governors. So in this case, Governor Crime Wave Holcomb appoints the New York members and half in the bag Murphy appoints the Jersey members. I am more than happy to allow my warnings to be used in a PSA form on both New York Mass Transit and New Jersey Mass Transit. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. This is Curtis Lewa. As if you didn't even know, I am the sheriff of the MTA, the money-taking agency. And that means you don't listen to John Franco. Take the freaking mask off. The president said the pandemic is over. And, yo, that photo recognition technology, you're all on film. I'm going to know quickly if you're a criminal or not. And those guys who are trying to prove they don't have erectile dysfunction, put your three-piece set in your pants, you pervs. And if you try to commit the crime, whatever it is, I'm going to hit you so hard, your grandmother will feel the vibration. So, you want to deal with me? Or you want to just sit down, mind your own business, and get off of your stop, and don't bust anybody's chops. Mind your own beeswax, right? I wonder where that term came from. Mind your own business, M-Y-O-B. Mind your own beeswax. Now, that's the kind of a PSA that would uh, make a fair evader think twice, three times. 
Not Keyshawn Sewell. I'm sorry, that audio sheet is weak. We have increased officers on trains and platforms so that you can ride safely. Sorry, Keyshawn. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Not ready for prime time. As if you didn't even know, I am the sheriff of the MTA, the money-taking agency. Damn right. Let's go to Anthony, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Anthony. Curtis, my man. How we doing, buddy? Good, good. After I had a chance, uh, after 69 years, to look at that movie, The Incident, uh, I feel good. I feel good. You're glad that I gave you a little nudge to make sure you watched it? Absolutely. Uh, I now believe it to be the greatest movie made of all time, and I've seen a few of the best. Curtis, Bo Bridges had a broken arm. Remember that? It was in a cast. He beat that guy to death with his arm because it was broken in the cast. You know, he reminded me, though, of Mickey Mantle. He had that same look, you know, like out of Oklahoma, the Oki from Finoki, and his partner, right. his friend, the Italian kid, who was also in the Army with him, a real Mameluke, just like Frank Morano, right? A real Mameluke. Like, you better believe it, Curtis. One other thing I wanted to tell you is I'm wondering – if anybody ever answered the question, who should play you in a movie or a sequel of yourself? And my answer to that is Clint Eastwood, make my day. Mm. Clint, Clint Eastwood, Eastwood, make my day, who I think is now directing another movie at 93. I forget the name of it. From Carmel, beautiful city, as you just take. He would have been. He would have been perfect to play you. In a, I'm not talking about now, back in the day. Now, remember, there was a time where Clint Eastwood was in the Spaghetti Westerns in Italy and had to speak Italian. Uh, really? he, there was Marvin Hagler, who also, the former middleweight champion from Brockton, Massachusetts, went and did Spaghetti Westerns. Uh, he was fluent in Italian. And I understand that Tony Musante also did a number of movies in Italian in Italy. Go ahead. Make my day. Make my day. You're the man, buddy. You are the man. I wonder if you ever saw the, the, the piece they did about you on the museum about the Red Beret. And they had somebody play you. And it was the worst person doesn't even look anything like you. You see, in this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns and those who dig. You dig. Mm. Oh, yeah. Curtis, did you ever see that? Yes, yes. No, no, no. I, I, I like that. I like that concept. I like that idea. Like that idea. Get off my lawn. Listen, old man, you don't want to f with me. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. Crazy? Go back in the house. Yeah. I blow a hole in your face and then I go in the house and I sleep like a baby. You can count on that. We used to stack like you five feet high in Korea. Use you for sandbags. Use you for sandbags. That was in Detroit, I think. Remember? 
Pontiac, I forgot what it was called, Cholos. Oh, Grand Torino, that's right, the Cholos, right? We're giving them a hard time. The Vatos, the Cholos. He just came out there with his rifle. Clint Eastwood played in Spaghetti Westerns and then came here. Then Marvin Hagler was in the Spaghetti Westerns, spoke fluent Italian coming out of Brockton, Massachusetts, the home of Rocky Marciano. And apparently Tony Masante, who played that great character, great portrayal uh, as he was in the incident, played the whacked-out guy, Joe Perrone, is originally from Bridgeport and was also in uh, the TV program Oz. I think he was the mob guy in Oz. I mean, I saw this guy all over the place. He's great. But he's from Bridgeport, Connecticut. I wonder if he was from East Bridgeport or West Bridgeport. See, each Bridgeport had, uh, let's see, that was, wow, yeah, no, man, that was a bad father panic village. Maybe one of the worst public housing projects ever. Not a blade of grass, all concrete, like a prison. Father Panic Village, East Bridgeport. West Bridgeport was P.T. Barnum. Another bad housing project. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Me not working hard. Yeah, right. Picture that with a Kodak. Or better yet, go to Times Square. Take a picture of me with a Kodak. Took my life from negative to positive. I just want you to know that. And tonight, let's enjoy life. Pitbull, Naya, Neo. That's right.
Wow, that could be the theme song for Ebony and Ivory. Both of them swept up by the Adult Survivors Act in closing moments. Eric Adams, Swagger Man with No Plan, and Andrew Evilized Cuomo. Although they both uh, claim, no mas, no mas, not me. But it is ironic because it all came about from Kathy Crime Web Holcomb signing it into, into law that would do away with a statute of limitations in order to get Donald Trump. In order to get him against that E.J. Carroll, never trust anybody with three names. So Alvin Bragg could get a notch on his belt in that civil lawsuit on the rape charge. He was exonerated of that, but found guilty of the other sexual harassment charges, whatever it was, and told he'd have to pay $5 million and all. All the Democrats cheered, yeah. And now it's come fully around like a, a boomerang and gotten him right in the neck. Eric Adams... Andrew Evilize Cuomo, Sean Puff Daddy Combs twice, Jamie Foxx. Oh, man. And now Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb wants to extend it for another year. Guys will be sweating bullets. But, you know, speaking, enough of that song. Enough. Not Pitbull. Enough of that. No, no. Thinking of Tony Musante, I could have swore he played that great comp from Newark Toma. It was 1973-74 ABC. He said, I'll only do it for a year. Only do it for a year. Because I want to go on to other acting opportunities. And so he left this successful show. And he had to replace it with something. That's how they developed Beretta with Robert Blake, who went on to kill his wife, remember? That's how that came about. Or they may still have had Tony Musante playing Toma. If I remember correctly, Toma uh, was born and raised in uh, Newark. I think he was uh, one of 12 kids. I think at the lower end as opposed to the top end. Over in the west side of Newark. I think he lives in Clark, New Jersey now. Boy, he's up there in age. I remember he talked about having a drug problem. As a result, uh, be on TV. He had these specials on Channel 9, the Superstation. There'd be Toma there with all the kids as he'd lecture students uh, about the dangers of alcohol and other drugs, and he'd always talk about his own uh, drug habit. I think it came about when his five-year-old son died in a choking accident, and I mean, it's devastating. But he overcame all of that, and he lectured, and he, I mean, he, he didn't believe Puff Puff Pass. No, he was like Sergeant Joe Friday in Dragnet, man, Toma. Granted, uh, you've made your case against speed, LSD, heroin, and those ghastly-looking pills. But I maintain the evidence against marijuana isn't in yet. Well, sir, will you concede that it might be as harmful as alcohol? Well, all right, but it's no worse. No, sir, I hope not. Because according to U.S. government figures, between 5 and 6 million people in this country are physically and mentally sick as a result of their use of alcohol. The National Safety Council estimates that on the highways, liquor-caused property damage amounts to over $4 billion annually. As long ago as 1965, a year that incidentally was carefully researched, 
29,400 Americans died on the highways in alcohol-related accidents. Now, I think it's safe to assume that figure is even larger today. Now, let me ask you. If marijuana possesses only half the potential of alcohol for violence, criminality, accidents, and social degradation, do we need pot? Hmm. Boy, that sounded like Toma on Channel 9, man. He'd have those TV specials. And young people would be watching, uh, you know, Sergeant Joe Friday and Dragnet and laughing while doing Puff Puff Pass. Marijuana is the flame. Heroin is the fuse. LSD is the bomb. So don't you try to equate liquor with marijuana, mister. Not with me. You may sell that jazz to another pothead, but not to somebody who spends most of their time holding some sick kid's head while he vomits and wretches sitting on a curbstone at 4 o'clock in the morning. And when his knees get enough starch back in him so he can stand up and empty his pockets, you can bet he'll turn out a stick or two of marijuana. That, man, that, that sounded a lot like the real-life Toma, the former Newark uh, detective. I think the last time I had heard of him, he was living with his family in Clark, New Jersey. Man, what a career he had. What a career. The real-life Toma. Marijuana is the flame. Heroin is the fuse. LSD is the bomb. Just think Steven Tyler of Aerosmith in a hot mess now. Pedophile on a pedestal. Got kicked out of high school at Roosevelt in Yonkers. Smoking a dupe. Marijuana is the flame. Heroin is the fuse. LSD is the bomb. As a senior at Roosevelt High School, he could have majored in horticulture now. They probably would have given him a degree with all the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana and its medical uses. Anyway, let's go to Maria in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Maria. Good morning there, Mr. Curtis, man. Listen, I know you like subway movies, and I know you know this one, taking the Pelham of 123, but... I love the original one, Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw. It's got a cast. That's a great movie. The second one that John Travolta did with everybody, I know it's a little too speedy and a little too, uh, I like the old movies like you, the black and whites. Anyways, that's a great movie. Real now, good, right? Now, question. Uh, I remember yes, both. So the yeah. more recent one was with Travolta and Denzel Washington, right? Correct. I didn't like that one at all. You know, the reason I didn't like it is if you looked to the original one uh, where you really had some great talent, but the first was just the best. There was no way you could recreate it and do it better. You could not. Curtis, the last scene, the very last scene, when he goes to the guy's apartment to get the last guy that Rob got the money, he hides the money in the oven. He's hiding the money under the bed. He's laying in the money. And at the end, he sneezes before he closes the door. That look that Walter Matthau gave him. It's almost like the look that Trump had in his uh, picture. <laughs> That's right. So you had Walter Matthau. You had Jack Lemon in that, right? And who... No, 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 not Jack Lemon. Oh, he was not? Shore. He was not in the yeah. taking of Pelham no, 1, 2, 3. No, Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw, Martin Balsam, oh, yeah. Hector Lozando, right. uh, James Broderick, even um, Tony Roberts, Jerry Stiller. You know it. I know you know it. I've seen it about 25 times. No, I just uh, so often kept thinking every time Walter Matthau, you know, Jack Lemmon, Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau. Yes. But yes. You, you, yes. you are correct. You have straightened me out on that. Uh, and yeah, Jerry Stiller. You're right, Jerry Stiller. Oh, what a great actor, comedian he was with his wife. 
Remember, he was the yeah. Jewish oh, yeah. guy. She was the Irish gal. Oh, Stella, yeah. Stella, 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 I think, Stella. Mira. You know, yeah. they, they were on for a while at WMCA. They had a talk program there, husband and wife. Yeah, yeah you got it, Curtis. How's the kitties? Oh, How's the, the kitties doing, the, you the, and your wife? The kitties are good. In fact, in a few hours, Nancy's going to be on for our family extravaganza, 12 midnight to 2, in which uh, we will be celebrating the fact that uh, John Casamitidis and our parent company, Red Apple Media, will now be syndicating the Animal Welfare Hour across the nation. No residuals, though, to the little kitties. None. None. I hope you have a beautiful day, Curtis. You and your wife are the best. Thank you. And thank you, Maria, for straightening me out. Thinking Jack Lemon was with Walter Matthau and taking a Pelham one two three, the original, the best one. Yeah, yeah. You keep barking, keep barking. Knock yourself out, doggy. Much better than Travolta and Denzel. I didn't like that version at all. No, 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 no. Did not like that version at all. Let's go to Allen, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Al. Hey, Curtis. Um, I, I've seen that movie, The Incident. Yes. Was it? And uh, I've seen that when I was about 18, 19 years old. And when I went to hang out with the, the crew at that time, nobody heard of that movie. And I was going on about it. I, uh, that Martin Sheen was in it. But, like, these people at that time weren't well known, at, you know, when that movie came out. But I seen it was in the seventies, and uh, I, I'm like you. I thought it was one of the greatest movies at that time when I seen it, but not many people knew of it. No, you're so, right. Uh, you're right. Look, I hadn't even heard of it, and uh, people would constantly refer me to movies about subways, like the Taking of Pelham One, Two, Three. But this one, without a doubt, you look at any movie involving the subways. This is the greatest of all time, the incident. I mean, this Tony Masante plays a cycle like you can't imagine, better than even Joaquin Phoenix in The Joker. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it seemed like he played it so good. It's like a guy that just came out of a, a crazy house. He was so good. The acting in that movie, from what I remember, that's what makes this movie of course, the concept of it, too, the, the subway. But the acting is great. I mean, that grittiness, too, with the black and white. And uh, and the pool hall stuff, I always go back to uh, The Hustler with Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason. I mean, that's another one that I like to watch for the New York type thing. Did you, Curtis, did you ever hear of a movie, A Hat Full of Rain?, a Hat Full of Rain, no. Who was that uh, with and what was it about? Oh, I, you know, that's the thing. I don't remember the names. Uh, Eva Marie Saint was the woman. And it's about a Korean drug addict. He came back from Korea, and he's living in New York. And it was one of the first movies really filmed in the city. of. In, I think it was filmed in Brooklyn. But it, it's a great movie with the black and white and and it's so real type of a movie, but a hat full of rain. If you 
come across it. A hat full of rain now, is it a Korean war veteran or an actual Korean himself? Uh, a Korean war veteran. Mm. And yeah. he ends up being a dope fiend. Exactly. And, it, and he does such a good job. The actor is um, the guy that was in the movie Bus Stop with Marilyn Monroe. Mm. Mm. And he does, uh, there's a couple guys in there that are, are well known, but I can't remember the name now. Now, now, remember, back then, we were told, oh, you know, people weren't shooting up uh, drugs, except if they were, you know, in the jazz world, you know, or like the man with the golden arm when uh, uh, Sinatra played the drummer, you know, hooked on heroin. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, it was a lot more common than people led us on to know. Yes. And I seen that movie when I was nine years old. I, I was home from school. And that was like that Channel 9 in the morning movie. And I'm sitting there watching it. And at 9, I didn't know what was wrong with the guy. But I kept seeing him getting sick and needing the drug. And I, it just it just really baffled me at that time. But Well, I saw it actually. The first time I saw uh, Dope Fiends, they had a documentary at the 1964 World's Fair at Flushing Meadow Park. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was like a black and white film about people using heroin and how dangerous it was. And you had to stay away from this. And, you know, and people would inject it with needles. And then they talked about shooting morphine, too, and all that. Mm-hmm. And that was meant to, like, scare the bejeebers out of you. And it certainly did me as a kid. Oh, yeah. Remember, know. you're coming from uh, the Pepsi-Cola um, uh, center. Where, you know, they're, they're singing that, uh, oh, it was it Coca-Cola? Uh, I forget what it was. Uh, the world, uh, I give up the world for Coca-Cola or oh, Pepsi-Cola. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Come on, find that song there, Broadway Billy. Uh, anyway, you came from that, you all happy. And then the next thing I know, I'm in this uh, center there at the Flushing Meadow World's Fair of 1964, watching people who were dope fiends. Yeah who were considered the scourge of the earth. You know, you don't want to be on the needle. You don't want to be using that, yeah, that, yeah. that heroin or that morphine. Oh, no. Two separate worlds you were coming from at that point. Oh, know, that. then they had the Soviet exposition, uh, the United States exposition. Uh, you know, it was competition. It was part of the Cold War. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely great, even though as a result of the 64 World's Fair in Flushing Meadow Park, we lost the greatest uh, amusement park of all time, Freedomland, where Co-op City was, right along the Hutchinson Expressway. It closed because it could not compete with the 64 World's Fair in Flushing wow. Meadow Park. That's something. Oh, there they had the, yeah, they burnt down Chicago every night. You know, Elsie the Cow kicking over the lantern. They had battles between the gray coats and the blue coats, actual Civil War, fully engaged battles. Uh, every night they had concerts. I think they had uh, Miss Rheingold competition. Oh, man, that's wild, you know. It's wild to think of that stuff back then. And it was cheap and affordable. Cheap mm-hmm. and affordable. Yeah. Oh, so great. Yeah. And, they, and they couldn't make ends meet any longer. The World's Fair came to, into effect in Flushing Meadow Park, and there went Freedom Land. Next thing you know, Co-op City... Uh, half of uh, Grand Concourse disappeared and went to Co-op City, and the area just hit the skids, Al. Just sure. hit the skids. Sure. Man, 
Uh, anyway, do appreciate that. Do appreciate the memories. Yeah. Let's go to Dan in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Dan, the man. Yeah, Curtis, uh, that Tony Maslanti guy, he was in that movie with Sinatra, The Detective. Remember that one? Now, you said, uh, just speak up a bit. I could barely hear you. Tony Masante was, was in what uh, movie? The Detective. Sinatra movie. Uh, no, that, that one I don't remember. Mid- yeah, there was a... Uh, Sinatra was a city detective, and uh, someone was killing fruitcakes, and he, he uh, uh, you know, he was chasing after the, the killer, and he wound up, like, chasing that guy down and, and giving him a beating on a beach in, uh, I think it was Long Beach or Atlantic City, but, uh, yeah, that was a good uh, good New York movie. Did Tony Misante turn out to be the killer of the gay guys? No, I think he was, like, if I remember right, he was, like, uh you know, somebody's butt buddy, and he ratted him out. It was a whole big story. I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen it. But uh, he, he was like uh, he was like a Mama Luke type of guy. And uh, Sinatra chased him down. He ran from him in some uh, hotel, and he chased him onto the beach and, uh, and smacked the hell out of him. I remember that part. I got to tell you, there was that, that part there, Tony Masante. He's on the train with Martin Sheen. And they got the gay guy there. They actually call him. Uh, I forget what they called him. But they they just broke him down in front of all the other passengers, made him go in the corner, told him, don't get out of the corner there. But it was the most psychotic ranting, very quietly done, that I've ever seen on film, Dan. It was a masterful performance. Yeah, that, you know what was great about that movie? It, it was just the drama. They didn't. It, it was stuck in a tube, in a metal tube, you know, in a subway car. The whole movie takes place, so they didn't need a car chase or a, you know, explosion. It was just the drama of the movie. Yep, the incident. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen it or you saw it before, you need to look at it again. I'm not the biggest moviegoer in the world. I've seen some of the best. For a while, my all-time favorite was On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando. Still is, pretty much. And then quickly by Jake LaMotta in, uh, uh, yeah, (laughs) the Nero in Raging Bull. Then obviously, uh, look, uh, you, you couldn't do much better than Gone with the Wind. But when I saw the incident and I saw the performance of this psychotic extraordinaire, Tony Masante, you know, it was, uh, uh, Michael, uh, I don't know what's his name, Char- not Charlie Sheen's, his father's uh, debut there, Sheen's debut. But he could not shine the shoes of Tony Masante. He captured being a psychotic, Better than anybody that I've ever seen. I mean, forget Jack Nicholson and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Forget any of them. This was the classic. So do yourself a favor. The next time you want to see a movie, all you got to do is go online. 1967, The Incident, starring Tony Musande. And I think you will agree with me when it comes to Psychos. Even uh, what was made later on, Clockwork Orange, you know, the British takeoff, 
of a young person acting psychotically with other young persons cannot compare to the incident. It's the highlight of my Thanksgiving uh, Day weekend. But there's so much more to come. In just a little while, I'll be back with Anthony Weiner, left versus right. And then, very special treat, 12 midnight to 2, joining me will be Nancy. She'll pick the music, she'll pick the subject matter, a continuation of our family-oriented program for all of you, many of whom are shut-ins. You can't be away with family and friends. So keep it right here, your friend, 